Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I don't like blood and guts But I love them when they're lengthily discussed Cause nothing's more relaxing Than the cries of death and love So spend a are back back i know it's only been a week but we are back we're back oh speaking of little young poltergeist girl i mean we basically get a taste of another young proto poltergeist girl proto poltergeist girl definitely i i Gorley, i had that in my ding dang notes i had it in my ding dang notes too and you're not wrong in calling me Gorley. i'm matt Gorley. And I'm Paul Russ. And this is the uh, eponymously titled podcast with <laughs> Gorley and Rust, where we take horror movies that we either tackle a franchise or this, the season of one-offs, and put them through a cozy blanket filter of extra-long podcast discussion. And interesting that you should say uh, eponymous, because like the R.E.M. album, this is sort of a collection of one-offs and outtakes and Is that what that was? Because that's how I learned the name eponymous. That's how I learned the definition of eponymous. Same. R.E.M. really uh, helped us crack open our our Webster's. It's also how I lost my religion. (laughs) Yeah, that was like the early 90s, right? Yeah, I mean, probably true. <laughs> oh, well, man, it is good to be back. It's a, It was cloudy, but now it's a sunny day out here in the back. Yeah, now it's a chance of meatballs. Oh, my God. What if they come? Oh, Gorley, I would run right into your house. I, I wouldn't. Mean, I'd sit there with my mouth wide open looking up into the sky. When you can have your mouth uh, wide open, because just so people have the historical context here— Baby, we're anti-vax. Anti-vax. No, <laughs> we're anti-anti-vax. We're anti. What I meant to say is we're vaxed. Both of us fully vaxed. Fully vaxed and no masked. I was trying yeah. to rhyme there. Oh, but that's it didn't good. Quite. We're fully vaxed. No masked. <laughs> wearing Hager slacks <laughs> and playing jacks. You should know that. Here's the thing. We we play jacks. Every episode continually, Will Smith is looking on. If you're a new joiner to this podcast, Will Smith, basically producer Will Smith, produces the podcast, sits by, 
We play jacks in Hager slacks with no mask and all vaxxed. <laughs> and uh, we, that's originally, I think, how Will, he's not going to say it because he'll never talk on mic. Yeah. But I think that the jacks is actually what originally brought Will to this. Yes. Because we were playing right. jacks and he was just a big, huge jacks enthusiast. Yeah. And that rhyme that we just busted out was, I mean, we can't take credit. That's a Fresh Prince rap. It's an <laughs> unreleased B-side from Eponymous. Yeah. Uh, and with all credit where credit's due, I think DJ Jazzy Jeff had co- written some of that. That's true. And it was on, like I said, Eponymous. So it was a collaboration with R.E.M. <laughs> like how Aerosmith and Anthrax got together, DJ Jazzy Jeff, the Fresh Prince got together with R.E.M. And this is all true. This is. This is all, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just uh, reading the Wikipedia page on Will Smith right now, <laughs> so out we, loud. We All we do is read Wikipedia, play jacks during this podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for following that rhyme I was trying to do. You gave it the glory it needed, the glory. glory. Oh, you just left me some breadcrumbs to just, <laughs> it was all I wanted. <laughs> but uh, yes, the uh, today... Uh, our sixth of the one-offs. Yeah. Uh, one-off seems like too lowercase of a word mm. for, for what this experience is and has been. Yeah, that's a good point. Is there something a little more grand, um, like un- unique? Well, there is a podcasting term, unique listens. Oh. It's, it's behind the curtain, like when you're looking at your stats. Oh, Yes. So maybe um, like know. unique with a umlaut over it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> over the, the U- unique freaks. Sorry, that oh, was yeah. Will. Will wrote that on a whiteboard and, and he held it up. Talk about where credit where credits due, <laughs> Gorley. You could have gotten away with that. Nobody would have known. I can't do it. I mean, he's sitting right here, and Will's okay with he's it. Cracking he's... up. <laughs> so, listen, if you have found yourself new to this podcast and you don't know, and you're already just bewitched and charmed. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) My two favorite shows. I know. Oh my God. All witches. Yeah. All witches. If you find yourself, I dream of genied by this podcast. And I know that's a genie and not a witch, but they share some traits. What about twitches? (gasps) Do you know about that? What's that? Teen witches. They were called Twitches, but like... Is this a show? Yes. Whoa. I remember Twitches, um, and uh, it's it's not a good... I mean, it makes sense, teen, which yeah. is Twitches, yeah. but um, it's kind of a gross word. It feels druggy, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes, yes. Well, or, God, I mean... Some sort of disease. Who are we to discriminate? If you're twitching and listen to this podcast, and you're twitching for more content... Yeah. You, Go to our Twitch. <laughs> <laughs> which we don't have. Twitch.twitch. <laughs> I wonder if anybody's taking twitch.twitch. That'd be pretty good. Uh, um, oh my gosh, we are down already so many rabbit holes here, right. but or, or inception do. tabs. But um, my uh, friend uh, Neil Campbell told me a story once of he had a, a Rolling Stone magazine that had a um, little ad insert, like a big thick one that they put in the center of the magazine that was for Twix. Oh. And when you opened it up, it was like a little kind of greeting card shape ad. Like I think. cologne things used to be. Did they put the smell of a Twix in there? <laughs> oh my God. Why don't they do that with I any candies? Oh. Stop just with the colognes. We yeah. get it. Yeah. But I want to smell some um, nerds. 
<laughs> so he opened up the Twix and they had a little sound chip in there for a, a person to say, a guy, a man's voice to say Twix. But apparently the early aughts, late 90s technology wasn't quite there yet. So it just went Twish. <laughs> Wait, it didn't even oh, it didn't say Twix. It was like Twix. Oh, God. <laughs> well, one step more into the rabbit hole and then we'll get back to this yes. business. But I once bought my my brother a Target gift far, card for Christmas, but it was one where you could record your own voice and it would change the pitch of it to be like what they thought was Santa, so it lowered the voice. But this is what it ended up sounding like. <laughs> Here's exactly what it sounded like, because it, it like would break and slow down and go, Merry Christmas, Carrie, and may all your dreams come true. And it sounded just like Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. I was going to say, Silence of the Lambs yeah. uh, touch. I think I even put it up on my Instagram way back in the feed, but... Anyway, it's just a taste. If you want more bonus content, go to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust. It's in the show notes. You can get merch at Redbubble. That's in the show notes as well. But we do, oh God, we do commentaries. We do mailbag episodes. Yeah, we had a really fun mailbag episode that came out. Yeah. Uh, or that, that, that that's about to. Yeah. We recorded it. Yeah. It'll that's be, right. It'll be out. It'll be out the following next week if yes. you're a Patreon subscriber. Yeah. Last week if you're a free subscriber. Because you also get these episodes a week early and without Ooh. pesky ads. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then uh, uh, and then we got a commentary yeah. coming up at the end of the month that yeah, we, uh, we recorded. And it was um, mega fun. Oh, yeah. yeah. And we already have n- named the next one. And if you're a Patreon subscriber, oh, you get right. to pick one out of every three commentaries. You get to vote on it. Um, yes. Oh, oh, people are going to have a, I'll say a ding dang blast. Yeah. This is the second or third use of ding dang. And I just want to say I'm ding dang into it. You know what? As I was about to say it, it wasn't even after I said, I went, oops, I've said that twice before I was about to say, I was like, well, you've already said this. No, 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 no. Should I I make it a, I I think, yeah, make it a ding dong thing. (laughs) Ding, ding dong thing. There's no, well, Let's not parse it, but let's just ding let, ding let's to not the third power. Think it. Let it just be <laughs> what it wants to be. <laughs> but going up those uh, cross tabs, right, or yeah. up those tabs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was it now talking about how this little girl looks like the poltergeist girl before the poltergeist girl was well the poltergeist done. girl? Yeah, well done. Proto poltergeist. Proto geist. Proto geist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, did he? Um, I I noted that too. Talk about so it's it's the talk about. Why should I say that? That's Let's insane. go on a talk. Do you want to go on a talk, talk about? about? Let's go on a talk about. <laughs> we just walk around in the in the bush and do talk about. Joan Rivers would often go on talk about <laughs> in Australia. Can we talk about? <laughs> it wasn't even that she she said can we talk. She wouldn't say thank you for helping me with that. <laughs> Uh, but yeah okay so she had blonde hair and mm-hmm. like the bowl cut kind of bangs is that yeah. what you would call them or does bowl cut have to it wouldn't have yeah. any side parts because the like bowl would cut off the one sides. fourth bowl cut i guess one it's just bowl. a crop top bang thing. yeah yeah and then um uh similarly aged mm-hmm. and kind of um the same uh 
cherubic, yeah, angelic face. Yeah. Do you think that Cronenberg was just doing his own thing, or kind of like hearkening back to Village of the Damned or something, mm. and was Poltergeist borrowing from the Brood or Village of the Damned, or thinking they're doing their own thing? Yeah, because it's more in line with Village of the Damned, right? Yeah. Uh, the Brood is because. The girl, the brood, you got maybe some questions about how, I mean, she's innocent, yeah. but like she, in, in Poltergeist, Carol Ann is a clear cut, like innocent, yeah. like, uh, oh, the bad guys come and they, the bad ghosts come and take her. Yeah. But this, you don't know exactly how she's in cahoots with the brood or not. Yeah, she's not, or, but she when is When you're watching visually. the movie, you have suspicions or something. Yeah, because they're also like doing a lot to like match the hair and then especially the clothing. Yes. Wow. Which... <laughs> Who's dressing them? Who are their tailors? <laughs> not only in their, their external snow gear, but their sleep gear. They clearly went to a store and bought onesies for a child larger than I've ever seen in powder blue and like lemon chiffon. I mean, they have terrific taste. Whoever oh, is buying I these things for them. I think it does make me think I want to go as a brood for Halloween sometime. Oh my God. To go find somebody who's your exact height and each of you go as a brood uh, yeah, together. That yeah. would be really good. The two that hold hands and that go into the preschool, yeah. a blue and a red, I think. Oh my god! <laughs> if if uh, you gave Amanda some lifts, I don't know why I'm so preoccupied with what they'd have to be. No, the same but I'm height. with you. I'm with you. Yeah, uh, and then the, the 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 fringe benefit. You got some snowsuits now that are really cool <laughs> post Halloween, and some cleft lip mask. <laughs> What's the autopsy? I mean, we're jumping all over here, I but the, the the autopsy guy go. He goes like, they have a beak like mouth. Yeah, no teeth but beak like gums i know beak like gums we'll get to that because there's there's a lot to dissect every pun intended and i think a pun that would be appreciated by that coroner who is real cavalier about seeing a species of creature that has never (laughs) appeared on earth just like the gremlins why don't these people ask just as a general note I know they're being terrorized by killer creatures, but no one's going, what, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's even going, hey, time out. I know this is crazy. We're all dealing with this, but this is the most significant event <laughs> in the last 2000 years in the history of mankind. <laughs> Why aren't we bringing in top Canadian scientists? <laughs> Like in the movies, whenever there's a creature or an alien or something, the the government's always the bad guy because they're hiding it from the public. This is an instance where I want to see like, could you help us? You know, the Canadian social yeah. infrastructures got a pretty good reputation. I trust them to come in and like at least tell me where to begin with this. <laughs> I just love the idea, like a, a polite. Canadian social welfare worker <laughs> who has to like go into that wood house and like meet, meet the brood and be like, okay, we're going to find you guys homes. Okay. All right. Gosh. Okay. Let's roll well, up our sleeves. You're, okay. You're all identical. So we'll try, I guess, except for your clothing. So we'll try to put the blues in one home and try to find a nice family to adopt the four to six of you yellows 
Are there, are, could I just ask a quick question, Nola? Are there any more? Am I seeing everything here? Okay. Just, and they all- I know what surprise is. Because <laughs> this is a bit of a surprise. And they all look like this? Okay. Okay. Beautiful. They're beautiful. Yeah, and don't get upset because I do understand things change when you get upset. As long as they have navels. What? <laughs> Okay, no navels, but they do have genitals? They don't. Okay. But you have classified them in kind of gendered onesies. And that's just, don't worry. Don't worry about it. I just, I have to, these questions are on here. Do they have a navel? Do they have sex parts? What's their gender? And it's a construct. I get it. But you seem to have constructed a lot here. No, no, I'm not hungry. I don't want any of your placenta. Thank you. Is that a placenta? Because it looks... Like a deflated basketball. I'm sorry. It's a question on the sheet. It's there. It's there. <laughs> wow. There's uh, ah. Before we even get, oh, I in, love the brood. By the way. Oh, good. Okay. Yes. I because I was worried. Uh, you never know. Like it's oh. like when you're having people over and you're cooking a meal for them. Like, <laughs> is this your taste? You know. I mean, right after the placenta talk. Yeah. I because I have a question. <laughs> I go over to somebody's house and they put out on the plate. <laughs> It's like placenta sack. I'm sorry, what were you going to say? <laughs> no, like, how do you serve placenta? <laughs> Some people do. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, that is the conventional thing people do, right? The traditional People have babies just for thing the to do one meal. To, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so if somebody I, uh, offered me their placenta, I'd say, uh, no, I've had polenta <laughs> will just got up and walked he did a lap around the house out of anger though he didn't yeah, like oh, it yeah. he he's didn't a, like it he's a big placenta eater and no offense to anybody who is because there's nutrients i'm under, i'm understanding some people take it in pill form did you know that to what that they can take your placenta and turn it into pill form oh the oh yeah the, a lot of future scientists Food scientists have been working. I, I on think it. so. Or, or were you being truthful? There? I'm being serious. Oh, really? Why would you even? Oh, because you still want the nutrients. Yes, I, I think. And, and I actually understand, <laughs> I understand that if you are someone who wants to look into the nutrients of a placenta, that'd probably be a way more ingestible way to take it than to do what Nola does here in this movie. Yes. Wow. Um, well, one thing I was. I don't think I have enough distance from this movie, which is interesting because I think I've said before I saw this as a child. So yes. it's like Halloween, like the second most movie that stayed with me, but then watching it, and I've seen it once once as an adult, but I honestly don't remember it that much. Uh, the thing that stayed with me was obviously the preschool attack scene. And I also mm -hmm. remembered the meat tenderizer, which I had conflated in my memory to being in the preschool attack. And then when I think about it, why would there be a meat tenderizer in a preschool home kindergarten? I guess. Yeah. Preschool home class. Really tenderizing your clay and your Play-Doh. <laughs> but I didn't remember any, really hardly anything else of the movie. And so after watching it, I'm like, is this a good movie or not? And is it scary or is it comical? So I, I may need to rely on you for that. Oh, no, I think it's uh, scary. I mean, uh, I um, I saw it 2000, the year 2000. Okay. And then maybe saw it again and watched it a bunch in college. I probably watched it in college like three or four times and then haven't watched it, maybe watched it once in the last like 
15, 20 years. Yeah. So there was a lot of stuff when I was watching it that I was like, I don't remember, uh, what's the word for it? Where you see it and by seeing it, you remember it and you go, oh, I remember that. But before having seen the movie, I would have never gone, oh, yeah, there's a part where he uses a hard crystal kind of ball, <laughs> glass ball to bludgeon somebody. But when I saw it, I was like, oh, I remember the hard ball thing. <laughs> anyway, whatever That's that word right. is. Uh, yeah. But the preschool thing, similarly, for me, was the having not watched The Brood for a long time. If somebody asked me, what do you remember from it? I'd be like, oh, the the Brood and their snowsuits go into the classroom oh. and, and kill a teacher and... Um, they but, just walk right in those little scamps. They just you walk know it's a right good disguise. In. It really is. Their only other option would have been a, a big tr- trench coat and them on <laughs> With each other's yeah. shoulders, <laughs> pretending to be the superintendent. It's still got that little face, that little creature face. <laughs> then the teacher just has to be very, very uh, polite in that scenario <laughs> with the superintendent. I mean, also, it's her boss. So. I'm here for your evaluation. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah, Amanda thought it was a good movie. She fell asleep because it is it is slow. But, man, Cronenberg's like Carpenter, like... It exists in the real world, but it's unique. It's always got a different feel, something slightly off. Maybe it's yeah. also the like the fact that it's 79, it's Toronto. So there's yeah. just like 90% of it feels recognizable, but where 10% of it is kind of just slightly different. That's a know? great point. Yeah. And I love maybe my favorite thing, and there's a lot to love about the movie, but I think my favorite thing is the like all the aesthetic yeah, stuff, oh those God. wooden Canadian, yeah. like the... um. We have Esalen in California, but this was like a snow-based Esalen, like yeah. Esalen on Hoth. Yeah, a kind of masculine-based self-help cultish kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Only we, this time we're dealing with psychoplasmics. What yeah. a term! Oh my well, god! And to, what you were talking about with Carpenter—that he just has that. There's some weird added touch to all of Cronenberg's movies that yeah. you just like feel, but also the like kind of dovetailing back to the nonchalantness that they have about like the brood yeah. and experiencing them. This movie like takes as a matter of fact in the very first scene that somebody's anger can make them form sores yeah. quickly. Like quickly instantly. on their body. <laughs> and so and then nobody really bats an eye at that. Nobody goes, oh this is uh, just a game changer in terms of how we understand our physiology yeah. or biology. There was one guy in the audience that goes, that man's a genius. <laughs> nobody's going, do we need to invest in band-aids for this guy? <laughs> and you're supposed to kind of, I think, like, because the protagonist doesn't, who we're supposed to see through this, through the eyes of, he doesn't go, this guy's right. He is a genius. It's kind of like, this knucklehead thinks yeah. this guy's a genius. It's like, well, he is getting things to show up. He's their, doing something. That's never happened before. Yeah. But the fact that that's, yeah, just take it as a matter of fact, I this isn't a criticism. It's like, that's what I love about yeah, movies. It's, like, it's just like, oh, the first, and what's cool about it, and very, I don't know, it's necessarily Cronenberg or Canadian or that it's independent so it doesn't have to follow rules, but just like, 
most movies, most horror movies, the first 15 minutes is just making, we watch Poltergeist, yeah. making you believe that all of this is existing in the real world before it, like, yeah. but this is I like know. first scene, so bizarre, a guy is calling another guy daddy. Yeah. <laughs> that alone would be weird. He yeah. didn't need weird sores on his body, but then seeing a man cry and get angry is in, in like a black void so it almost feels theatrical too yeah didn't it feel like a acting class it made too? me think like i want to reshoot this with you and me and redo this scene <laughs> who would you want who do you i take your pick i honestly don't care. i would love to be the curly haired <laughs> uh, bearded fellow that guy oh man he's, he's something else that i mean yeah you're so right what what a tone setting scene that has to be one of the most like uh just here's what you're in for scenes yeah i mean i think it might have, this was my first david cronenberg movie Me i've seen too. i haven't seen all of them yeah i don't but think anything i, have, I, I see of his i dig big time yeah and i think he's just so cool it's like a guy who's had an entire career and he's never worked for a studio he makes his own thing uh, and then he a studio might release it for him, but he doesn't have to take anybody's orders and he's never sold out. He's a pretty cool dude. I know. And that's pretty because this is what you get. And you're so right about the just the look of this, too, because it's that late century 70s diagonal, like 45 degree <laughs> natural wood oh. angle where in the like early mid century would be like a walnut veneer. Mm. This is like redwood planks. And that was so big that. Yeah, when did that – so this movie came out in 79. Yeah. Presumably made in 78, right, or mm -hmm. something. Like, when was that architecture built? I would like, was this like, oh, that building was just built a year ago? Or is this like late 60s, mid-century? What, uh, I'm sure there's examples of it in the, like, mid-century. But my understanding of that look specifically is it is a real 70s thing. So It's my favorite. I know. It's pretty great. And I, I'm already cataloging that for ideas on things to do because I've seen some houses, you know, we drive around sometimes uh -huh. just to look at houses. And I think that they probably chose that. What I would bet is actually a church, whatever that location is uh. that they use for the, the psychoplasmics clinic or whatever. It's, I'm sure, like, brand new, and that's why they chose it. But even the school is feels like it can't be more than 10 years old at that time because it's very modern looking. Yeah, they both uh, – this could be intentional or not, or it's just, like, by what happens when somebody's picking the locations and they like what they like. But, yeah. like, both the school and the thing have uh, – the treatment center have, like, these – weird geometric yeah. like shapes and stuff I, I also is it montreal is that where this is i think it's toronto 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 yeah. uh sorry that's like probably so insulting it'd be like if an american heard a canadian go like wait was that uh new york city or, or Puerto uh, Rico. miami <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're like man they're completely different worlds but you uh, just you just don't see much municipal architecture like that because i mm. think western civilization the the like booms were early 20th century and then post-war but then by the time you get to 70s the only kind of real architecture you see is poltergeist style kind of yeah. new stucco construction so these things are more one-offs but it was weird to see a school that maybe that school's an earlier mid-century build but I, I don't know it's interesting that's great uh, yeah i never thought about how what was the um workers program 
That was during the oh, the FDR story. The NW, the WPA, w, yeah, Workers Progress Act. Progress. Yeah, yeah, that there was no yeah. version of that like in America post Vietnam. Was it yeah, like, yeah. hey, no. let's try to build some municipal buildings here. Yeah. And then we get to have all this like groovy mid 70s, yeah. early oh, 80s architecture everywhere. It'd be fun to do an alternate, like a show set in an alternate universe where all the municipal expansion was done in the like mid to late 70s. So there has to, that is, yes. Oh my God. I'd want to move there. I know. What, there has to be some worlds that yeah. were developed. Well, you know, when I, speaking of Canada and speaking of what we're talking about, like when I go to, when I used to visit or li- when I was in Vancouver for a few months, it had, I was there in 2007 or eight, but I liked it because it had, you could tell a lot of, it was a boom in, in like 1995. Oh, wow. So it was so like bringing me back like, yeah. to like eighth grade, wherever I walked, I was like, God, all this like plush green <laughs> with wood paneling kind oh, of mixed yeah. with brass that kind of like uh, yeah, that's still, still holds up for me <laughs> oh same same yeah. wish I could live in Vancouver yeah. now people live in Vancouver they're probably like oh we've changed yeah we're in 2021 now <laughs> sweetheart <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah oh my gosh so yeah the the wood and then the red carpeting oh, the rust and the brown all the clothing's brown yeah beige or red yeah yeah and then the hairstyles yeah. I, I love them all they can't i know um so uh and then yeah just the definitely like the kind of like acting class therapy but and you brought it up this like term that they just like come up with and treat as psychoplasmics. Yeah. And now, how would you describe that, Gourley? I guess it's your emotions manifest. I think they even say it in there physiologically rather than just physically. Oh, what's the, I don't know. I, the I'm difference. not sure I know the difference either, but clearly what, and it seems to be rage because he both wrote that book about rage. By the way, I want that prop so bad. Just the, the Dr. Book. Raglan book about rage just to have on a coffee table. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Yes. That and um, the book for the recently deceased from Beetlejuice. Oh, God. All, wouldn't it be great to just have all the <laughs> like the ne- necrom- Necromicon or whatever? Yeah. And then there's the one from Friday the 13th, Jason Goes to Hell. <laughs> Why do I say the full title? But yeah, so I guess <laughs> it's just different people manifest rage in a different way. But when that guy in the nursing home takes down his exercise towel and he has those little giblets hanging from his giblets. neck, that threw me. Oh, yeah. Uh, when I first saw that, I remember being blown away by it's kind of, it's sort of a microcosm of the whole movie, which is the whole scene up into that point. My brain is going, why does he have that towel? And then you're going, I guess because he's working out and it's absorbing the sweat. And then it reveals such a a grotesque, disgusting, testicular uh, uh, nodule. So gross. And then your brain goes, Oh, that's why he was. And my brain did notice that. Like, yeah, some, you're, it was movie, doing the, the right thing. I think it's went. like a really good horror movie and it's also a really good mystery because I know when I first saw it and it all kind of came together at the end, like the explanation, it worked for me because I was like, oh, 
I and my friends who I was watching, we were all smart enough to be going, there's some things here that match. Mm. It's not entirely lining up. But I think like a satisfying mystery when it comes together is like, uh, uh, nothing new is necessarily coming out that's like explaining everything conveniently. It's like, oh, all the weird stuff now kind of lines up in a way that makes sense and it's satisfying. So I think, yeah, it's like a, um, the psycho, uh, uh, plasmics thing, like when he's pulling it off, uh, it like works as the whole movie does, which is just like it's gross, but it has its own like logic to it. That it like, does. I'm, There's yeah. just enough like pseudoscience in there to satisfy you, both like as a viewer and to believe that these people kind of believe. Like the guy with the giblets says, you know, you have, you you have a second heart because your lymph node system, or you need a second heart because it doesn't. It doesn't pump your lymph n- node juices through, so that's why you have to get up and get circulation going. That's the only way to move your like lymph Whoa. lymphatic system, and that's probably not true. I'm sure it's not, but doesn't that sound like something some exercise yeah. guru or something would say? And, yeah, yeah. I know it's so funny because a lot of movies when uh, science jargon talk comes on, my brain kind of shuts off because I'm. But like with this one, like with the autopsy and stuff. I was just like every word yeah, I was like hanging off. Give it to me. Of, like, it to me. <laughs> what was a gel sack in its shoulders or something like that? And, and then, yeah. then when that like collapses, they die. Cause I didn't remember the little creature dying in the and Yeah, so I it's didn't, like oh. oh, I don't remember that either. I, I didn't remember that it was like yeah, when that gel sack is empty, it's like its juice, its yeah. battery juice is gone and now it like just falls apart. So it's I guess being fueled by the rage. The gel sack yeah. is like the rage that's I mean, uh a couple things just about that idea <laughs> like uh, uh one it's interesting that like it's just one feeling yeah. it's not sadness or or happy like why can't those yeah. little creatures be like come over smurfs. and give you little hugs when she's feeling good what if the the, the story of the smurfs is that they came from a very <laughs> joyful canadian ex-wife mother and she was just like birthing these little happy, like they're just blue. popping off her like gremlins. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, that the fact that it's anger because, uh, hey, you know, been in therapy for a while. I love it. Yeah. Uh, it's been very helpful. Uh, the a lot of talk, not just in my therapy or other people's therapies, it's, it's the distinction kind of between like when is it sadness mm-hmm. and when is it anger? Mm-hmm. So, like, I just thought that was interesting. Like, oh, David Cronenberg did make the choice that anger is the thing that's, like, birthing these things. Yeah. So, I don't think he's necessarily putting, like, a qualitative thing on, like, it was wrong or right. But yeah, it does feel like it's sinister because it's coming from anger. And you you do even sympathize with Nola because she's been through such trauma. Right. And it's unclear whether she even knows what she's doing though when you find out she kind of sending those creatures to the preschool you realize it does yeah it's interesting like who's sort of like um um what's the complicit yeah because um dr oliver reed oh boy we gotta get into him but then when he goes he's also when he came in he saw this person who has this affliction and he's like this kid this is my ticket and so he's somewhat culpable for these brood. But at the end, I had a little hard t- pinning down what his 
not that it's a fault of the movie, just me. I what did he flip a switch by the end where he's like, she is a monster, my monster, like a Frankenstein's monster thing, where he's like, I it's gotten out of control and now I have to destroy it. And he's he is helping Frank. Yeah. And here's what's interesting when you really think about it. Yeah. Because throughout the entire movie, I don't know if you're conditioned by other films to just recognize this guy as a bad guy. He's not because here's the crazy thing. Whatever he's doing is working. So he's not a quack. He's not, I mean, he's kind of a cult leader in a way, but he, for however he's done it, they don't say he's able to make people do these things. And then he sends everybody away because I think he's found like basically the prime patient, like you said, to do this work with. I don't think he realizes what he's doing is causing harm because he doesn't necessarily know about the first two murders and then when he finds out he does he's there to help right and when he's like protecting her right your condition in a movie when a doctor says it could upset her treatment and she can't know uh to go well this guy's a quack yeah um but in retrospect you're like yeah if she found this out um I hate well, to or, say or it. she he, already she already knows she knows what she did. Yeah, I hate to say it. He is a genius. He's <laughs> done something and seen something that yeah. no one else can. And in this world, like he in the real world is everything wrong with ego and humanity and everything. Mm-hmm. In this movie, he's doing what I think anybody would and probably should do up to a point. Yes, and and then when he realizes it's wrong, he tries to correct it. Yeah, you're right. So it's crazy. Yeah, and the fact that it's Oliver Reed who usually <laughs> plays heavies so <laughs> and that- is notoriously twisted and egotistical himself. <laughs> right, 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 yeah, right. It's perfect casting. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so he's so good, and I think yeah. like he's. At his his best scene, or my favorite scene of his in the movie, is when they're outside and he's holding um, Frank at gunpoint, and he has to like. It's snowing out. You can see his breath. Oh yeah, and he has to like deliver the exposition of the movie, like the explanation. And I was like, Oliver Reed, who's probably drunk during this every every report would tell you that he is drunk at every moment in this scene so it's probably 3 4 a.m on a cold ass canadian night and that guy drags his ass out there from the pub straight from the pub that he got arrested at during this production because he bet someone he couldn't he could run naked to the another pub or a, through the neighborhood, and he got yeah, arrested. From one pub to the other, naked, running through the cold, freezing cold. Yeah, that during this production, he was arrested. <laughs> yeah, so the police arrested him because they saw a naked Oliver Reed running between two bars in the snow. Not the first time he'd been arrested, nor probably the last. What a rascal that guy! Yeah, and dark. I mean, yeah, we're I all like, <laughs> but then, yeah, <laughs> this is probably really yeah. terrible shit he did. Um, well, you watch that like we talked about it once on the pod uh, when he was on the Tonight Show, and he kind of like digs into Shelley Winters and yeah. anti-feminism, and she goes, "Why are you doing this on TV? Like, this <laughs> like, is so weird. Yeah, like you're hurting yourself more than me." <laughs> and then pours water on him. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, but the um, yes, the and then he multiplies. <laughs> then they eat after midnight. And there's a bunch of little Oliver Reeds running around. Then they get full of rage, and then the little gizmos sprout 
broods, uh, like little diabolical gizmos in onesie <laughs> snowsuits. With towels wrapped around oh their neck my God. to hide their, what'd you call them? Uh, Not pustules. Giblets. Giblets. <laughs> Uh, uh, the, the, uh, uh, Oh, what were we just talking about? Uh, uh, oh, oh, our, so what's so good is yeah. that scene. Like, yeah, he is nailing it. And like, uh, that could be, I don't think most actors would want to like be standing out in the cold having to be like, her rage manifests these creatures. <laughs> but like, I believed it all. And oh, the reason he's so good in that, I think is like, he's like quiet and like yeah. whispering it. Yeah. Yeah. He's. He's someone that came out of Hammer horror films and like his career oh. went up and down in terms of quality productions. So every time I watch this movie as an adult, and that's only been twice, but I do expect him to do kind of this like tongue in cheek Christopher Lee performance, but he's not. And yeah. also knowing that he's so often drunk and problematic, I really do expect him to phone it in. And he he doesn't. He's yeah. in command completely and he's really like yeah. driving it. Yeah, I've been um gosh, I wonder, you know, it's I've been thinking about it the last like week or so. I've just been dick around reading about theater, Broadway, theatrical actors, people who are like the shit on Broadway. And you know, it all comes out of, I know you're a big, you love Shakespeare. Yeah. It all comes out of just like, if somebody can nail Shakespeare, and I've been thinking about it with actors who are in B movies who are like, or, or just low genre movies, yeah. people would consider like low genre movies that like, it's so funny that like five years earlier, two years later, they're going to be on stage doing like King Lear. I know. But I think, that's like what makes Oliver Reed the shit or whatever. I'm going to blow your mind right now. He's oh. like the only like high level British actor of that time to never have done theater. He was what entirely the f- a film actor. Fuck. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I just think he's like you Richard just, Burton. I would something. have too. And I only read that last night after watching this movie. I wanted to read up on a little. I would have thought for sure he's, oh you know, gosh. playing Caesar. Holy moly. Good yeah. for him. Yeah. No, I know. <laughs> and I, I guess it's, he probably came to it through Hammer. I don't really know, but. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say like, you know, when you're a Shakespeare Ian actor and you have to like think about what each word, the feeling you just apply that to like critter rage critters yeah. coming from a mommy and you're fine there too. If you're worth your salt as an actor, but yeah, he just, um, I wonder. So yeah, he just, uh, broke onto the film. Scene. What, what are the, the big, if somebody was walking on the street and you wanted to know who's Oliver Reed, you'd say he's the star of, uh, well, He's Gladiator was Gladiator. his late flame, yeah. fame. Yeah. And he died during the production, but then there's, you know, I honestly couldn't tell you. Donna Reed's brother, um, and famously from the uh, the Reed estate that makes reeds for <laughs> <laughs> to play instruments. So he's set. Stan Lee's often credited to inventing Reed Richards from Fantastic Four, but he's <laughs> just he's just a, a rage manifestation <laughs> of Oliver Reed. He is married or related by marriage to Edward Fox, who's one of my favorite all time actors. He's um, just the most Edward British Fox. guy. He played the Jackal in Day of the Jackal, which I watched recently. Ooh. Oh my god! I'd watch that movie when I was like probably late teens, early twenties, and I probably was like, "This is boring." It uh-huh. is two and a half hours of just pure procedural 
a, what an assassin goes through to, to Ooh, kill somebody. I have to like, check it out. All passports, weaponry. <laughs> and you're like just following the bad guy the whole movie. Oh, that's great. It's so good. And Edward Fox is just like, he's in Force 10 from Navarone, one of my favorites. He's in the unofficial Bond movie, Never Say Never Again. He plays oh, M. Okay. And he could all talk like this. Do come along, Bond. <laughs> Even as a young man, he sort of has this sort of thing. And he's in Victory, that soccer movie. <laughs> Which I think you watched on a sleepover, if I remember correctly. Probably by myself on a sleepover where I'm like <laughs> fake sleepover where I set up my stuffed animals and like, oh, is it my birthday? Let's watch Victory. <laughs> the fact that Victory isn't talked about like every other goddamn day. It's crazy. You got <laughs> Stallone, Pele, and Edward Fox. Three Michael people Kane. that, yeah, Michael Caine, yeah. But Wait, Edward is Fox Edward is, Fox in that? Am I? I just assumed I've never seen victory, and here I am going. People need to be talking about it every other day. You're but right. I just assumed you meant he's a he's like the bad guy in it. He's like no victory boys will go on my soccer field. <laughs> no, why? Oh, I'm gonna be so upset if he's not in that. Um, is Edward Murrow? Is that? <laughs> is that what oh my God! I don't think he's even in this movie. What am, I was totally well. Max von Sydow is, but I was totally. Well, that's good. We figured it out here, so we didn't have to figure it out later. I was totally right? thinking Michael Caine was. Oh, you know why? I realize now. When I was a kid, my dad. He was such a like sports guy, and then mm-hmm. we just didn't really have much sports crossover. But yeah. I did like soccer, so he would take me to the. Inglewood Forum at the time when we would watch indoor soccer and the LA Lasers played and they had this like British guy that looked like Edward Fox and he was always my favorite. (laughs) Just kind of a blonde like prep school haircut and I think that's what I'm I'm putting into victory. (laughs) Oh my god. I is the memory's a scary thing. But also that when you're a kid, you just are like these two are basically similar. They make yeah. me happy in the same way. Yeah. So this guy's that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. Well, we've transitioned enough into a different topic that maybe we could take a, um, Ooh, a flood, a flood, <laughs> like the flood, but spelled like, Oh yes, like of the course. Bri- <laughs> flood. I don't know. I don't know. You might have a better one. That nope, one just came it. out of me. That just came that's out of it, me. The flood. There's no, there's no, Okay. Let's take a flute break. All right. We'll be right back. <laughs> With Molly and Rust. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. With Paulie and Ryan. 
Oh no. <laughs> Wait. Matt walked out. Then a brood came out with his. Now maybe it's just Matt with his hoodie up, but I don't think so. I think it's a brood. I have a belly button. It's a <laughs> few. <laughs> now, do you think people who get hernia surgeries and lose their belly button are always getting accused of being a brood? Wait, does that is that right? You lose <laughs> your belly button for having a hernery hernery? Well. <laughs> In one case, I knew that. Really? Which was uh, growing up, I, our, our, old, our family friend, who's old, named Ralph. R- Ralph had Crazy multiple Ralph? hernias. Oh. And it was like, Ralph doesn't have a belly button because he had what? so many hernia surgeries. I think like they sewed it up? Yes. Maybe he's, that is an excuse for he's a psychoplasmic manifestation <laughs> of You know what I realized? We took a the fluid, but we could have also taken an all- all over peed. <laughs> okay, like Oliver Reed. Yeah. Yeah, why not branch out to the kind actors? Kind of like Oliver Reed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this wasn't any uh, ordinary fluid. Uh, now oh, yeah. now we're, that we're post-vax, uh, yeah. I got to go inside and uh, uh, see your lovely wife. Yeah. It, was, it was great. This is where... We're we're coming back. Yeah, she Margo is up on her stomach and she's got her robe over Margo, so it looks like. And I pulled it back to show you, is because it looks like the brood sack yes. that when she pulls her robe aside. Well, and the actress uh, in the brood said she came up with the idea to to lick the brood oh, yeah. because she was like, "Oh, I I've seen my cats and dogs do this." Yeah. So I bet Margo. At one point, when she was first born and was a little kitty, she yeah, got licked yeah. a la the brood. <laughs> I'm just realizing that that robe that it's not even a robe; it's like a it's a cleft gown that she's wearing was designed specifically for either pregnancy or more likely brood-like hatchings. Because when she kind of gets up on her knees and it just it like widens towards the bottom to be open and whoa, what a, what a, that should have won costume design Academy Award. Yeah. That was only, that was only fashioned for somebody who was about to, to brood out. Yeah. So like the Psychoplasmics Institute has someone handling clothing <laughs> specific to each rage manifestation. And then later when her friends come over and she's wearing it around the house, they're like, oh, you went to, I got one of those too. <laughs> like Mike, what? Why do you have all those like quarter sized holes in your t shirt? Oh, oh those gross. are f- for my, uh, it's a long story. Why doesn't the other guy grow a beard with the giblets? Oh, to cover like a his long, giblets. long beard. Well, you know, when he does show his giblets, <laughs> it's to say, hey, I think I got a good case in court. Oh, yeah. Like this is going to freak out the jury. Yeah. So maybe he doesn't want to hide them for legal reasons. But when. When he gets the settlement or whatever. Yeah. And then that begs the question, does he have to shave his giblets? Ugh. <laughs> ugh. ugh. I guess it's like it when you have to shave, like, and there's like an ingrown hair. Yeah. yeah. That's it or something. Yeah. I'd like to think he gently shaves. Ugh. Oh, Oof. I mean, oh. hey, this movie begs these questions. We're not, yeah. we're not like talking about the little mermaid here and making it gross. This movie is gross. I know. So we're asking gross questions. It's bo- early Cronenberg body horror. Yeah. Wow. Let's talk about that. Capital mm-hmm. B, capital H. Yeah. This is, uh, this is, 
how you would probably define Cronenberg, but also just like the genre itself is David Cronenberg, probably yeah. number one guy for body horror, right? How early is this in his career? I don't even know. Like, it's maybe his. He had some shorts. Mm. I think he wore some shorts <laughs> at some point, but this was maybe the third time he wore full mm. pants, full length pants. pants. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because he did that all the way through until kind of like what the early 2000s when he started kind of doing more straightforward movies like didn't he do history of violence isn't that what i'm thinking of yeah and i think by maybe the early 90s he's like making um naked lunch and stuff so oh, he wasn't right. even making movies anymore that were like yeah the first word wouldn't be horror yeah. to describe it or something i mean the brood i love because it feels like a uh, just uh, when I was watching, I was like, oh, this is a horror movie. Every oh, yeah. 10, 12 minutes, you get a, a kill at the end. He's encountering the monster and he's using like subterfuge to steal the jewel from the lizard. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like all classic. Like, And I enjoyed that at the end. A lot of times with some movies when they things kind of like start becoming like, okay, he's got to go in and get the thing. And now we know there's going to be a fight. Uh, this didn't like feel like that and if there was any kind of familiarity to the convention it was good because it grounded me in like yeah, what's going to be an insane last 10 minutes <laughs> i totally i was agree. like i get this this is a guy trying to go and get his daughter back from the monster but holy Would you smokes ever think you'd watch a movie where you'd be on the side of a guy shooting children in onesies <laughs> and they're just like massively squibbed or are not until Beethoven's second would I be down <laughs> for the climax ending with a grown man shooting children well should we take it from the top yeah yeah real quick before we begin I just want to say that since we last recorded I also watched Bad Ronald I know we've talked about that ooh cool yeah. Gorley yeah and that movie is crazy and worth a watch because Every second you're watching it, it screams after school special, but nothing going on in it is after school specially. Yeah. It's and got, it has like fade outs probably to the commercial breaks. Yeah, stuff. it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And it's it's got Dabney Coleman. It's I forgot. The oldest daughter of the family that moves in is the main woman from Beverly Hills Cop, which I was all like, I couldn't place her at first. And Oh my gosh. And um, uh, Ten to Midnight. The Charles Bronson. Yes, that's movie. right. Yeah, yeah, which I have yet to watch, but I hear is actually kind of like a horror movie in itself. Yeah, there's a scene where it's Kelly Preston, her, oh. and the girl from Thriller all in a line together, oh, like wow, in one room. You're like, oh my God, this me. is 1984 oh, manifest. God, okay, that's on my list. <laughs> then I learned that the house that they live in, this Victorian house, is in Glendale. It's the E.B. Good house. It's been all... Wait, where? In, in, what in Glendale. Bad Ronald, the house. <gasps> Whoa! If you if we've talked about this previously, but if you don't know Bad Ronald, it's a like strange TV movie where a boy is living with his mother and he accidentally kills a woman. So she they close off the bathroom. I always thought he was living in the walls, but they close off the bathroom That's and right. hide the bathroom, and he lives in there so that the police won't find him. But then the mother, I don't know if I want to spoil it, but we anyway, yeah. a new family moves in, yeah, and he's still living there. Uh -oh. Bad Ronald doing his artwork. <laughs> And that kind of gets a, a little bit bad. Ronald doesn't get referenced in the brood, but I love the little like tantalizing detail that they have when they're trying, the detectives trying to figure out who it was. It was like, it's probably 
a woman had a deformed kid, yeah. was embarrassed by it, so she never let it go out in public and it escaped and it's killing people. And then he went, it's happened before. I know. <laughs> and I was that, like, I want to see that movie too. That does seem like the most logical explanation because they had seen the creature at that point. But just the fact that that, I know they're called creatures in the, like the IMDb credits, but it feels like they should be called a brood or the, Yeah, what should we call brood, them? A, a broodling? A broodling. That's okay. great. That's perfect. The broodling was just living in the little cupboards of that house for a day or two. It's crazy. Waiting. Yeah. That's right. Well, and then it's for... Okay, we'll get to it. Yeah, okay. The... Uh... Okay. <laughs> oh, gosh. So starting off... I just want to say that I love the font of this movie mm-hmm. for The Broom mm. and realize it's very similar to The Room, which is also <gasps> a very similar title. Oh my gosh, yes! Same font. Uh, what is that? I don't know what font that is. Al- just... Also, um, possessory title for David Cronenberg. It's not necessarily in the promotional stuff, but in the title screen, it said David Cronenberg's oh, yeah. The Brood. Yeah. Um I just Another, the, yeah. the way the opening titles come in simple like Helvetica credits over black or yeah, whatever it is. That, it just felt and the music, the Howard Shore score. Mm-hmm. It, I just remember watching it going like this feels like such an adult horror movie. Yes. It feels very grown up. And also the um uh I love like the br- brevity of short credits yeah. where it'll be like, yeah, I love it. It's like a light blue color too, that font, the yeah. Helvetica. And then um like, uh, you're watching it and it's already says like director of photography or edited by, you're like, Oh my God, yeah, the credits are almost done. This was only like 30 seconds. <laughs> seems such a, like a taste. I mean, the whole movie feels, I'm guessing because of budget that they can't like shoot a bunch of extraneous, like it is so, um, what's the word I'm trying to like, uh, efficient, efficient. Yeah. yeah. I was surprised it was only an hour and a half when we first started it. And Amanda and I were going to watch it. I said, oh, this is only an hour and 30. I remember this being like over two hours. And yeah. she goes, oh, ringing endorsement. You know? <laughs> no, but she ended up. Like, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I, I first, I thought of the efficiency thing with um, when the uh, father-in-law goes to confront Oliver Reed outside and, and yeah. he's, and Oliver Reed's like, I've already talked to the police about this. I was like, they knew they only had a week and a half with Oliver Reed, we're not going to waste it in a scene. <laughs> right. Him talking to the police being like, I don't know, you don't know or whatever. Like, I never so thought they about that. Have it kind of suggested between him and the dad. Cause that's where it's going to matter the most. Yeah. They yeah. probably did only bring Oliver Reed in for a week or a week and a half. I read that the woman, I, yeah, a- four a- days, four days, Samantha Edgar. Is that right? Edgar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, related to, um, Edgar the Candace Ed Bergen Ed Edgar Bergen yes <laughs> she's related to the dummy I don't know okay come on they're not all wieners uh, but yes <laughs> he likes it Will likes it well Will's got a, a one Will wore a, a onesie he often dresses up like in the in the spirit of the movie but he's flat out wearing a snow suit onesie and a mask. <laughs> A broodly mask. It makes me think that that look of the broodling, now that you mentioned budget, may be one of those fortunate consequences of like they couldn't do a full head prosthetic and creature, and why not just put it head to toe in every bit of clothing they could except for the face. That's right. Yeah, that's that's good. And you can also just 
recycle faces all around. There's no yeah. distinctive looking one either, right? Like you yeah. just have to mess. That's right. Use a bunch of. But they are. Are they slightly different or not? Oh, I from each tell. other. Yeah, I couldn't That's tell. Good. I know that one of them was played by a guy who also played an Ewok. Really? Yeah. Because I assumed they were played by kids as well, but apparently they were played by little people. Oh. Especially, I'm sure, like the squib stunts. <laughs> Couldn't strap that to a little five-year-old. <laughs> right, yes. Uh, do you think he was um, bragging on the set of Jedi about how he he was one of the broodlings? I would that hope so. About? I would hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Especially if he was one of the like main ones. Yeah. He's like, I... Uh, I was the one who uh, held the meat tenderizer. Uh, maybe you recognize me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I noticed the, the opening too. For me, uh, no studio logo. Oh, that's it just right. jumped right into these credits. No logo, loco discussion, or at least we can in the absence <laughs> in of the a absence logo. of it. Yeah, yeah. That's this new segment that we're really planting. And I think this was um, distributed by. Um, uh, Roger Corman's company. Mm, that um, makes sense. But the uh, uh, Joe Dante, who made Gremlins, which there's some Gremlins-y stuff yeah, in here we sure. just watched, he cut the trailer for this movie because oh, that's what he used wow, to do in the that's 70s. Right. He worked for Corman, right? Yeah, so I wonder if uh, oh my God. He, he watched the movie and cut the trailer and then was like, <laughs> God, yeah, Chris Columbus to write a Gremlins movie. <laughs> that's a lot more cute. <laughs> The connections between all these movies with the gremlins and the brood, but also like the opening scene in this movie and the acting class and body double mm -hmm. really have a similar sort of feel I thought to. that too. Yeah. It's like uh, both are the instructors trying to get the person to elicit like the feeling they think they're repressing or yeah. something too. And then yeah. uh, I also thought the late 70s Canadian touch of terror trade too. Oh, That's definitely. The other yeah. <laughs> it is weird. What what year was terror train? 80? 80, yeah. That these movies are just both made in Canada within a year of each other, but they really do feel fairly different. Yeah. I mean, I think like David Cronenberg with his, I don't know by this point, but the first movies are like they'd get into trouble because he was using Canadian public tax dollars to make his movies. And then they'd come out and we're like, wait, our tax dollars are going to pay. So, like, but isn't that a thing? Like, you, if you're making a movie in Canada, or they have a huge subsidy for Canadian things that if you're a Canadian filmmaker, you do get a subsidy or something. Yeah. Like that. I mean, yeah. They do things right. It's yeah. No smart. kidding. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, so I don't know how this one worked, but then, yeah, the fact that, um, right, there's the, the credits and then, and then they're in the, the, the right opening scene. Um, what that you know when we were talking about the uh, that it's anger. What's the thing fueling it? Yeah. Um, I haven't. Um, I'm not like a at all new agey whatsoever. But I'd say in the last ten decades, my mind has really gotten around to the mind body connection. When somebody described it to me as, "Hey, there's clear evidence of it," mm -hmm. you. Everybody, this happens to everybody. You have a a week of work that's really stressful. Yeah, you get or you do a play or whatever. It completes and then you get sick. Yeah, because your brain tells you, "Hey, body, now you can get sick." Yeah, 
And the other example for me that feels pretty clear is like when somebody's partner dies and then they die within the year after yeah. their partner dying because their yeah. body just goes, not worth it, bye. <laughs> Absolutely, like stress reaction for sure. So this is all like in the, I wouldn't say the realm of possibility, but like the idea at all that there's some connection between your mind and body is like enough of it for me to buy oh, into this. It's, perf- it's yeah. the perfect heightening in a grounded way of a real sort of thing. Yeah, or people get... um. um do shingles come out during stress? Like, what are what are the conditions? I don't know, but you do. I think people get like stress sores, cold sores, mm-hmm. and things like that. I I really don't know. Well, you get cold sores because you you just are riddled with so many just STDs. You just name it, and it's not out of like carelessness. I'm a collector, and I'm a completist. <laughs> and if you want one, you let me know. Oh. Thank you. And that's the crazy thing is I can control which ones <laughs> you I can get the specific yeah, one. I have a dispenser, basically. It's not a dispenser. I mean, I call it my dispenser. It's like a, a fountain machine. Yeah. Sort of fountain machine. It's hard to describe. I'd have to show you, but just if you decide you're in, then I'll let you know. That's but. its own Cronenberg body or you have a <laughs> body like a machine that dispenses STDs. It's a type of psychoplasmic oh. manifestation. Oh, it's a type of it. They yeah. franchised psychoplasmics now and yeah well instead of rage it's more of a sort of just ecstasy uh, (laughs) i was gonna say is it ecstasy yeah it's just like i don't want to get into it but i'm so virile that i can just ejaculate a full baby (laughs) that's how potent my sperm is well look you came to us for a Cronenberg episode, you're gonna get a yeah. little uncomfortable humor. Yeah, yeah, some Cronenberg comedy. <laughs> those both of those C's are backwards, or and the wine comedy has kind of fallen down a little bit too. <laughs> just so you know how wacky it's getting. <laughs> oh. So yeah, and then um, right, uh, the wood paneled acting class. Oh God, um, I want to I want to go there actually. While we're talking, I'm going to look up where that place is because that, that's important. That's just important podcast due diligence. You know, I'm on the uh, IMDb. They got to have filming locations here. Let's see. So yeah, this is also, um, as you said, uh, Howard Shore. This is his first score. This guy would go on to score many movies that people love. I, I, real quick, I just realized I'm looking up the location on IMDb, but I'm still on the victory page. <laughs> What if all the same locations for Victory are the ones for The Brood? (laughs) I always get Howard Shore mixed up with who wrote, And you want her, and she wants you. We want everyone. I don't. Howard. Oh. uh. Beach. (laughs) (laughs) Now I have two things to look up. Can you believe this? (laughs) Um. Well, while you look that up, because I want to know the location as well. Wait, they have a section on IMDb called Crazy Credits? Oh, yeah. I love the Crazy Credits section. I didn't section. know about this. Did you know that the guy with the giblets was in um, Friday the 13th, or Jason X? He is. Yeah. <laughs> so is David Cronenberg. That's right. Because yeah. that was fully Canadian, yeah. Do you think they were on set and he was like, my giblets, man, get over uh, here. Giblets, get over here. I want to give you a Giblet cluster. <laughs> okay. Was um, the giblets man one of um, the sexy girls in the crew? No, he must he's probably been. a different character. He must have been. All right, stall. Um, 
So the next scene after this location uh, is when we meet the daughter, Proto Poltergeist, Protogeist. Mm-hmm. Um, and from the get-go, right there, we see her children's snowsuit. Now, Gorley, I have a question. Well, you look this up. I'll, I'll ponder. This can be rhetorical. Okay. W- was that a snowsuit that was genuinely like being used and popular throughout the country, both or the continent, yes. North America? Yes. I, I cannot answer for Canada, but I can only assume because I was, um, what's the word, coerced into skiing when I was young. So not coerced, but I w- it wasn't my fervor, but my dad was really into skiing, so we skied a lot. And that was the common thing for kids. <sighs> Often onesies, two bib, bib snowsuit overalls that are like down, but... I saw a lot of that exact look on the ski slopes in Southern California. So I can only assume Damn. that they were wearing that at least half the year out there in Toronto. And then those kind of, um, that's good to know. And then that's those kind of, um, are they primary colors? Like, yeah, just, the, the snowsuits are. Yeah, yeah. Cause those really like pop against the kind of like, beigey yeah, white brown right. gray look of all that. of that especially that I love it's probably my favorite shot in the movie when the two of them are walking along that snowy road oh, with God. the girl and the oh. truck drives by and doesn't stop yeah which that's like one of those things that you go your brain goes I guess that's what would happen no, it's probably also have. late 70s absolutely three kids are walking on the road who cares yeah holding hands they're they're obviously like happy no it's two things. Those kids are happy on their way home for a hot cocoa, or it's two broodlings and a hostage. Um, okay. You've had it? Yeah. Although it doesn't tell me much more. <laughs> Principal photography of the brood began on November 14th, 1978 in Toronto, Ontario, and continued through December. Um, wow, pretty short. The Courtright Center for Conservation just north of Toronto was used as the location of the Soma Free Institute. But that doesn't... Hmm. Conservation. Maybe it's a musical conservatory? That would make sense. Oh, my God. Because it does have a little theater. One of our listeners went to the to the music conservatory there and could tell us, oh, oh. yeah, that's where I played um, Hot Cross Buns. <laughs> Was it that theater? <laughs> my big debut. Or no, is that you're, – you're saying they're different buildings. Mm, that is the building. That is the building, Yeah. Egger recalled the production crew being very small, with only around seven crew members in total while she was filming her sequences, many of them, quote, academics and PhDs standing there holding lights. Her scenes were shot over a period of three days. Uh, Oh, check this out. To portray the brood of children, Cronenberg cast a group of child gymnasts from Toronto. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Gymnast giblets. (laughs) Now let me look up Howard Shore's counterpart (laughs) Howard Shore um, uh, his name always for me evokes um, that he did the score for Ed Wood the only non Danny Elfman score for a Tim Burton movie and do you know why because because Danny Elfman was doing something else? Uh, there was some Nightmare Before Christmas drama. Oh, that's right. And they weren't speaking to each other, so he had to turn to Howard Shore. And then they reconciled? 
and then they reconciled. What do you know about that? I'm happy. This peanut butter and jelly, those two together. Absolutely. Okay, it's Howard Jones who I'm thinking of. And he wrote... um, Oh, he was the guy who would have been president if he hadn't gone... (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. That's Howard Dean. Can you believe that guy was brought down by that? (laughs) Well, it was also because he was married three times and was having affairs with like porn stars and stuff too. Howard Dean? Oh, no, I'm sorry. That was the guy who did get elected president four years ago. Oh. I was being a little snotty, <laughs> snot, snot. Oh, but uh, John Edwards, too, by God. Um, oh, yeah. His that could have turned out bad. Things can only get better. Oh, and what is love anyway? No? I don't know that. Um, At first I thought it was going to be, what is love, baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. I didn't mean to go down a Howard Jones rabbit hole, I apologize. When was he? Um, In the 80s, on early the 80s. Was he part of kind of the same, uh, uh, like, a, a, um, who are some single-named? Mm. Yeah, like Harold Steve Altamire, Winwood. Steve, oh, yeah, although I could name too many Steve Wood. Woods, <laughs> plus, he was a member of Traffic and uh, Blind Faith. Right? Whoa. Yeah, I love Steve Winwood. I think he also was going to, maybe it got canceled, but I think was touring with Steely Dan. Seriously? Like the S- would they call it Steely Winwood? Steely Winwood. Yeah, but uh I think there's still gonna be another Steely Dan incantation uh oh. incarnation, even though the and incantation maybe that uh Probably. since the one of the founding members is dead. Yeah. Uh but I think maybe who knows, man. I think post COVID a lot of nostalgia acts are gonna be I hope so hitting the scene because uh who Who's this is so off topic? Hootie, but Hootie and the Blowfish. Hootie and the Blowfish are going to be touring, and they want us to open for them. They okay. want us to do live with Corby and Russ. <laughs> it's because they know Will Smith will be there visually, yeah, and they can a, bill it as Will Smith. We get used so much. I know. for our access to Will Smith. He. This is the first time I've seen him serious because he feels bad about it. Yeah, I mean it's the truth. We don't feel bad about it. No, you don't have to feel no, bad about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, who? Who? <laughs> Who is a musician that you've never seen in concert who's still alive mm. and you're kicking yourself? I How have know. I never seen I that person? Ding dang musician uh, ding in dang. concert. It's Dire Straits, Mark Knopfler. Even though they're not together as a band anymore, but still. Mark Knopfler is Dire Straits in some respects, right? Basically. So if yeah. you went and saw him, you'd get a Dire Straits. Yeah, although concert. he's done a lot of solo stuff since then, which I like, but I, I don't know how much, you know, the D Straits he's doing. But if, if he came through town, would you go and see yeah, him? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I need to at this point because I, at a, one point, went to see Van Halen, like the early 2000s at the Anaheim Pond, and it was such a miserable concert experience. Like they were just bilking you at every turn. It was not fun. Like the audio was horrible. Mm. Eddie Van Halen was playing in a totally different key. It was a nightmare. And I swore off arena concerts. But then I always said, if Fleetwood Mac fully gets together with all members or Dire Straits, I'll go. So I did go see Fleetwood Mac at the forum. And have I told you this that Uh after the concert ended? I'm not kidding. Stevie Nicks came out and did a Q&A, and then she was ushered off stage, and then Mick Fleetwood came out to speak a little bit. They did, like, verbal presentations. It was crazy. What? Yeah. Like, uh, that's like what a theater yes. a play does or something. Yeah. And I, if I remember correctly, 
Mick Fleetwood's wasn't even like question and answer. He just delivered a bit of like a five minute talk. <laughs> it's cool. That is so not the Fleetwood Mac of your. I would imagine as soon as that encore is done, they are doing some lines I and know. partying with some champagne. Uh, yeah, I think uh, both Buck- Buckingham and McVie and well, both McVies were like, "Fuck these, we're out of here." Did uh, did they cover uh, just for old times' sake, uh, "Holiday Road"? Ah. No, I wish. Oh, my God. Uh, well, I hope the best for you with Mark Knopfler. That'd be cool. What about you? Oh, um... Howard Jones? Yeah. I can't believe I haven't seen <laughs> Howard Jones since I heard about him. I'm kicking myself I haven't seen that guy. It'll be all new. Uh, I'm not even the biggest Bob Dylan fan, but I mm. think he's probably like the biggest... Or Stevie Wonder, mm, like yeah. the biggest like living legends right now. Yeah. And Diana Ross is up there too. Oh yeah, but because I've already seen Dolly Parton, and I think oh, she's maybe the biggest living living. I'd legend add right that. Now I'd like music. to see Dolly Parton, and that was awesome. That concert was. If you get the opportunity, because she does half like music, but also just like storytelling. Oh, yeah. and see, that's the good jokes. kind of that. Because I don't yeah. remember Fleetwood Mac doing any in between banter. They just no. saved it for their PowerPoint <laughs> TED talk after. Uh, but yeah, eh. I miss Tom Petty. His last concert was at the Hollywood Bowl, uh, yeah. and then he died after. And that was like one of those. Oh, you should go see somebody. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, that concludes Dead Rock Star Talk. I will be back next week with more Dead Rock Star Talk. But now back to the Brood. Yeah. Uh, oh, wanted to say this great title, the Brood. Yeah. The double. Uh, Sexual entendre? No, just the double meaning of. Yeah. It's a brood of kids, but also brooding. Yeah. yeah. I'm sort of surprised this hasn't been remade somehow, but maybe do Cronenberg films not get remade? Does he have a say in that? So I I think it was about Scanners. I read that uh, they were going to do a remake. The filmmaker reached out to David Cronenberg for his blessing and he didn't give it. And so the guy was like, okay, I'm not going to do it, which oh, is weird because most people give their blessing because yeah. I think they are in a little bit of peace right? Um, from it. A little it. bit of peace. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Dave Grodenberg doesn't own his movies. I don't know. I don't know. He does seem like the type that would be like, nah, these are mine. Yeah. And maybe the money's not so good. I had the same thought this morning, uh, dude. I didn't, I was like, I'm surprised this wasn't, hasn't been remade or direct to video sequelized yeah. for the last 40 years. It could also be a good like seven episode Netflix series if done well or HBO. Yeah. Because there's so much uh it's not just the critters and kills that are cool about this movie. Like yeah. the whole world of psychoplasmics. Is yeah. The pretty... Soma Free Institute. Well, when we do reshoot that opening scene together, I guess we'll have to get Cronenberg's <laughs> yes. permission. But I'm assuming, Will, would you mind reaching out for us? Because I feel like you could carry more weight. Oh yeah, because David Cronenberg did Hitch. He That's right. Hitch, you so. oh, he's already he's he's got his phone. I was emailing him right now. This is crazy. Oh my god! And this is that we haven't had a, a suspense like this since you called Daniel Craig's number that one time. I know. No. Oh, you know why. They're both DCs. We're calling Daniel Craig, oh, David Cronenberg. Yeah, that's why. That is why. Why did we try to call David Copperfield when we did the terror trade? Why didn't we? Oh well. Oh, uh, so David Cronenberg says yes. Oh my God! All right, cool. well, that's 
uh, subscribe to our Patreon because that's where that will go. We should do it true West style where we shoot it both times where we each do Switch the character. It. Yeah. Absolutely. And then we take it on the road. <laughs> that would be thing. If we were doing regular live shows, I would say we should memorize that and we open every live podcast oh. with us performing that scene. And we just switch. So you, you got to come back as an audience member. You don't know who's going to be playing which part. <laughs> right. And you might want to come twice because you got to see both versions. I'm 100% in if you are for a live show to, I'm down for this. to memorize and perform that scene. Daddy. I get to see daddy <laughs> multiple times. I'm fine with that. Okay. And then we could start like super true Westing and where we're just swapping characters every other line. Oh, God. Yeah. That'd be good too. Yeah. I get to pull the beard on and off. Yeah. Be fun. Um, um, oh, so... um. Long when you meet the girl, yeah. Along with that uh, red snowsuit, you see. Did you see that uh, bottle of Mister Bubble? Yeah, yeah. I uh, since my daughter's been born, I've gotten Mister Bubble. I smell that. That is like you know they say the smell is the sense that's most connected to yeah. like, memory and stuff. I just go like I'm immediately like brought into like my bathtub as a kid oh, with the smell wow. of. Were you a Mister Bubble family? I don't. No, we weren't. We were Johnson and Johnson baby shampoo. That but that smell strong, takes me back. Yes. But do you think that's product placement or is it just verisimilitude? Well, what about the Happy Days lunchbox? Do you think that was <laughs> no, to me? It feels like no. This is what it would be. Like Cronenberg's not doing anybody any favors anymore. Right. No, if you won't take a little piece for some remakes, he's probably not into product placement. Yeah, all of the stuff I saw, yeah, because there was a Mr. Bubble, the Happy Days. There's a couple other things, too, Was that there? pop up that seem like um, verisimilitude. Yeah. yeah. Like I guess it, it's like food items in the when the brood is just clearing out the cupboards. That's a funny little thing. Yeah, first, where they're it's cute. Just rage. We, so, I don't know if we're there yet, but I do, I wanted, I wanted to bring this up earlier. Yeah. What is that weird cupboard that they break through? Is it some oh, Canadian? That's American too. It's just bygone. That's a milk delivery cupboard. And they're used to like, there's these apartments that my ex-girlfriend in Long Beach had and they were all studio apartments and you would walk up a main stairway and there are apartments to either side and each one has a milk delivery thing. So it's locked from the inside unlocked from the outside or sometimes they'd have a key uh -huh. and you open the outside put the milk in close it and then the person from inside could open the inside one that's locked and get their milk and orange juice wow so that milk and orange juice was in there because it had just been delivered it wasn't yeah. i thought it was like uh, uh, <laughs> from the old days of the igloo like a, uh, like a special ice box cold box no that and you... that's how the the broodling gets in because it's busting through from the outside yeah I saw that that's why I thought oh like it's using the, the, the natural the snow the natural cold <laughs> I mean, that's pretty smart too but... uh, I mean that has to be I guess a benefit of when they're dropping off milk and it's cold they're like hey it's not a hot day today so people can that milk can stay in their little box delivery box before yeah. now we had a milk delivery box at my house growing up. Uh, you know, I'm from uh, Wells Blue Bunny territory, so they make milk and ice cream and mm. stuff. They we had a a tin metal box with on the logo the on it on the porch that yeah. they would drop it off. But we didn't get to have that cool house. I'm surprised that more houses in the states didn't have them, and it's weird that in Long Beach you would. But I like the holdovers that you see. My sister's house, uh, old house. In Iowa, I had one of these where the um, the 
big metal plate that they would open and it, it's a coal chute. It's like to oh, put coal yeah. down into the basement. Yeah. I love old things like that. Like the um, open a cabinet and an ironing board folds out. Yes. We have um, our attic access is a really long, thin closet door. It's like a maybe a foot at the most wide and probably ah. floor to ceiling height. And you open it and it's a ladder set in the wall and you climb up that ladder to Ooh. get to the, It's weird. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When I first saw them break through it, first I thought the brood it was, they were coming out of like a dumb waiter, which oh, is another yeah. little hidden yeah. house thing that I like. Yeah. And we always had we had a uh, so many houses where I was growing up had um those uh anti um tornado doors. Oh, that, the like, cellar, to storm the cellar. Yeah. yeah, I always was jealous of those. I loved them so much. They're yeah. so cool. And Psycho too has an amazing. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bad Ronald's house and the house next door both have basements, which is rare for California houses, like full storm basements. Yeah. Uh, what's the quote from Zodiac? Not many houses in California has, have basements. Yeah. Uh, I have a basement. That's so cool. I know. I've seen you record like on Zoom in there. That is rare. That's so cool. Yeah. I. Um, uh, Are you a bad Ronald? <laughs> I am a bad Ronald. Oh, no. Uh, I'll share later the midwest stuff like when those kids are all hanging outside of school and it's cold and they're all hanging out in their breaths i was like this was most of my time (laughs) in the midwest was like you're waiting to go in school and you're standing out in the cold you're just with a bunch of other kids and your breath is like showing in the morning and also i love the like the way the sun shines through like on a cold day in the winter on snow it's like so beautiful and i missed it when i got to see it there this took you back yeah 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 but the um oh because, uh, what was it? Oh, oh, yes. Um, there, there was just a lot of stuff that I saw that was like of the of its time. Yeah, living in a cold area. I know, and and for me, the time specifically was what was so nostalgic. The look. I am the exact age to be a broodling. Basically, <sighs> I would have been about five or six at this time. And, and so, so, yes, tell me, when did you see this? What was the whole experience i probably when it came to select tv so probably 1980 maybe i saw this so i would have been seven maybe earlier i don't know but i i don't know how much of the movie i saw except for i remember the meat tenderizer and the preschool attack that's all i remember and it was enough to flip me the fuck out and just stayed with me my whole life as a because this was like one unlike halloween which kind of remained in the public consciousness well, the Brood was an adult horror movie, so it also wasn't as popular or well-known. So it never like would flood back. I didn't see it in video stores or anything. Mm-hmm. So I just always had a memory of it and then would talk about it and then saw it, I think, when I was in like my late 20s was the first time I saw it again. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then until you saw it in your late 20s, during that time, were you having like um, bad dreams or you would have visions of what you saw and be like, ooh, that was weird? Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I think because Michael Myers dominated my nightmares, I don't remember <laughs> any brood dreams. I just always had a vision. And I, I couldn't even exactly remember what the broodlings look like. But, uh-huh. but I always, I know when Amanda puts on those face masks, does Leslie ever do the, mm-hmm. those? Like they look like silicone, like white <laughs> skin rice paper or something. But I always am reminded of the brood. <laughs> that and what the like Spetsnaz special forces soldiers wear in the snow scene in Red Dawn. They have these kind of like oh, yes. washed out white 
masks. And those three things are conflated <laughs> together to me. That should be a, cost, a Halloween costume. You just go between those three. I know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's funny that you had a childhood memory um, and it stuck with you about it or, or you it scared you as a little kid because and then you didn't see it in your 20s because I didn't see this movie until I went to college because I think the video store in town had it and I could finally watch The Brood. I had Did ever... you know about it? Well, I didn't know about it. It was like really shocking when I saw the movie. I didn't know the body was going to like change out of rage. Yeah. And I didn't know this thing about these little killer kids. Um, but when I... In high school, my like uh, my first love, like my girlfriend, uh, she would talk to me about she had these nightmares that would wake her up with these little kind of like troll like kids. And she's like, <gasps> I think it was because when I was a kid, my dad was watching a movie and I walked in and I saw it on TV and she asked me as a film buff, do you know this movie? And I was like, I don't. I'm trying to think. I, uh, no, I don't think I've seen a movie that way. Like that. And then I went to college. Now, my first year of college, she had broken up with me. I wanted to, I'm not sharing too much, I don't think, but I just like, I missed her yeah. and I wanted to date her again. Sure. And so when I'm watching The Brood... The key to winning anybody back is sending them... Well, it's so crazy because in my mind, I'm like, this is the movie. Yeah. And this could be the thing that gets us back to fall in Look, love with each I'm other. I'm with you. That Unless you you guys were in a, like a, a real altercation of a spot, that's enough for you to at least contact her and go, hey, here's something that might close a loop in your psyche. Like that's You're doing someone a favor, I think. <gasps> we had both decided by that point it wasn't good for either of us to be we need to live our yeah. own lives yeah we're uh we're friendly now uh, uh um and she's cool uh but just uh, uh but yes did, did she receive that did no she? Oh. oh well so then i saw her maybe like five years later when we touch base again i was like hey just so you know i think it's this movie the brood i watched it and she's like oh okay thanks oh i want i want her to have gone like <gasps> Seriously? And <laughs> then I, <laughs> she holds up a copy of The Brood. She's like, I've had this the whole time. I never <laughs> I watch knew. it a lot. It never occurred to me. Um but yeah, that uh similarly it seems to stick with a kid. Clearly. If you saw this Yeah. So much so that when I was watching it last night, Mary was long asleep. My daughter, she was like asleep for two hours by that point. When they came on screen, I turned around and I looked behind me because I was like, "You want to make sure." I want to make sure oh, she had it cut down because I was like, "That's good ruin." You're a good her. dad. I think the thing that's so scary about it is not just that the way they look and that they're these killing children, but that it takes place in a preschool where you like Oof. think is a safe spot, and it just it ruins everything safety wise for you as a kid. Yeah, and as a grown up now, the you know, when I saw this in college, I was kind of like, eh, teacher gets killed in front of kids. <laughs> but like, that's an audacious move for a grown man filmmaker to do in a movie, which is I like. I know. And I also worry about the production because, you know, there are close ups on the kids when they're looking at something, but all the kids are frozen and you're like, they're not that good of actors. So what are they seeing? And then there are <laughs> wide shots where the teacher is attacked by these creatures. So you wonder like, 
at that time in 79 or 78, how much are they saying to these kids now, this is fake and we're making a movie here? It's worrisome. There was like, I think the final shot of the teacher when she's laying on the ground and like bleeding out of her head. It is a full on wide shot where she is there and kids are around her looking at her. You can't even go like, oh, they never had to see anything. They were just looking off camera at us. Oh, God. If this podcast ever had any reach, I would love one of those <gasps> kids who was in that classroom scene to to just talk about, like, does that stay with you or was it, like, handled properly? I'm dying to know. Well, you know, like, uh, Steven Spielberg says, like, oh, when I watch Close Encounters now as a father, I go, oh, he would never get on the, the Roy, Mary, yeah. Richard Dreyfuss's character would never get on a UFO and leave his children. And he's like, I see that now. I was like, man, I made that movie before I had kids. And uh, David Grodeberg did have a daughter by this point. I'm like, he was full on okay. Well, you know, he wrote this movie out of response to a messy divorce. Yeah, let's get into that. So this is like his daughter, they were married in 70 and they had a daughter and then they had a, a difficult divorce and this is about him trying to get custody of his daughter in this messy divorce. And there's some lines in there that it's like, the state always takes the mother's side. Yeah. Like things that I'm just like, he is pulling verbatim what uh, I he either heard, but also we can get into it. There's some problematic stuff here with, this is clearly a divorced dad's angry movie. It's a there revenge three, movie. There are three scenes in a row at the very beginning, the introductions of the female characters. He goes from meeting the hot teacher who, do, who wants nothing but to help him yeah. raise his daughter. Yeah. That's one version of a woman we know. <laughs> These are the three versions of women he sees. Yes. I don't know. This is a little too damning, but it's kind of like he can either be a hot teacher. Yeah mother figure. Uh-huh. Then he goes to Juliana, who's this boozy grandma. Who's seven years older than her daughter, actor-wise. I had such a hard time pinning down who she was because of that age thing. Yeah. Which is, it's a weird problematic yeah. thing, but like you, <laughs> uh, and then literally these three seeds, it goes hot teacher, boozy uh uh careless uh matriarch yeah and then the wild-eyed psychotic yeah ex-wife mom yeah and i, I don't know anything about their divorce and and so this is take this all with a grain of salt like i'm assuming there was who i hope to god there was no actual abuse in their relationship right but it not at the same time just alternatively for him to even like metaphorically express the trauma that's going on as abuse to his daughter. It just feels very entitled and kind of of that era of like, I bet you this mother just wanted to have her child and who that, knows. But No, that is what I felt when I was watching this movie was I was kind of like, I don't love... I like it when somebody pulls from their life, yeah. but I don't like it when I'm... I feel like the... St- the, the the impetus the protagonist it is, is yeah completely uh um uh, uh has no negative traits whatsoever yeah he had no traits <laughs> did you notice yeah. that too like he had very little reaction to finding out that his mother in law had been killed and or when he first sees the brood I know he treats it's so it as strange. just like a, mm. 
Yeah. Okay. But the, that's another weird parallel to the room because the room is so obviously affectless. Like, <laughs> just with yeah, that too. But the fact that the the room was so clearly made as a fuck you to some woman that he oh. apparently victimized himself, which is so clearly not the case. I can't speak to the brood, but the room is so obvious that he's just sees himself as this sweet little victim and some woman who probably was like, <laughs> you need to back off and leave yes. me alone, creepo. Yes. He's like villainizing her. Yeah. Well, yeah. exactly. I mean, I think maybe the most like misogynist line in this movie is he says something like she married me hoping my sanity would rub off on her and i'm like dude you're saying that bitch is crazy and that and that it looks like it the other way around is what happened her insanity rubbed off on him yeah and then he goes like but now it's rubbing off on me i hate that like kind of like um happens a lot where you know a guy is like is so pinpointing the psychological problems of the partner he's with, yeah. but never at any no. point goes, oh, but I chose her. Yeah, It was me who fell in love with this person. Yeah. Uh, what is my culpability in this? That is never at any point in the brood. Not to he mention never that. at all no. has to like seem like complicated by his choices and actions in, in, in the matter in the re- of the relationship. Yeah. He's just a... <laughs> I'm not saying this against the actor. Like, just the character is a blank slate. It's just nothing. He's reactionary. He does actions, but yeah, o- only like in that he uses his feet and arms to make things happen. But his face is kind of, <laughs> yes. and he just doesn't respond to things. It's it is a strange yeah. sort of like cipher of a role that yeah, and he kind of has yeah. You're right, and he sort of figures in as this kind of like detective yeah. audience surrogate where he's just sort of going around from scenes to meet other characters who are more interesting yeah. and gives them the spotlight in a scene. Yeah. And the fact that, cause I really love this movie. Me too. And then when you add in the, like the like subtextual understanding of his Cronenberg's relationship, it's, it does make it a little harder and it, um, Especially in '79, knowing that like this is when Esalen and things were around, and that psychoplasmics mm. is kind mm. of like a parallel to that, it does worry you that Cronenberg's kind of like, yeah, to the man taking the power back, and the mm-hmm. kind of like defeminization of things is is a weird layer that this movie doesn't need because it's just fine on its own, yeah, like narrative level. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I mean. Um... It's uh, you. Like, what it. you just said, sort of the man takes it back. Is the the comparison is same year uh, Kramer versus Kramer came out, and that can be a hard watch. I've it, never seen that because it was such a oh. like big thing in our house when my parents were getting divorced. But I I want to watch it at some point because it kind of does go along with this movie. Yeah, there's just no. I I would say the comparison is just like um, there's no goodwill extended toward the ex wife. Meryl Streep is just like. <sighs> Uh, maybe somebody could argue that it's she's a little bit more nuanced, but I think the takeaway from her is like, oh, she's a monster. Yeah, and uh, this movie, <laughs> she's literally a literally. monster, uh, and making monsters. <laughs> and yeah, so the kind of like taking it back 
like the authority back. It does having never lost it. Is exactly. The crazy yeah, 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 yeah. And then uh, I think I, I read that David Cronenberg did say like he found the scene where the guy strangled the wife to death very satisfying. <sighs> so, and I when I was watching that scene, I was like, "That's how this is going to end." He just strangles the wife to death. Yeah. Now, it's funny because you take that, take anything you know about Cronenberg's context out. You have just seen a woman birth a baby outside of her body, lick it clean, and continue to make killing machines. Yes. You can justify it in the movie. Right, right, right. Then when you know that stuff going on behind it, it really does take, I don't want to say take the fun out of it because it's not fun, (laughs) but it takes the, um, uh, like, balance out of it or something yeah. where you do, do see it as a message and a fuck you to his ex-wife that really spoils it. Yeah. Cause I think maybe what it is, is like the, there is such a clear metaphorical, like horror that I think anybody could feel, which is like, even if you were married, not married and didn't have children, yeah. the idea that like part of you is shared with somebody else who's also part of that person yeah. and who gets to have that and who came, who did that person more come from or something like those questions are so like, but the fact that the movie doesn't answer it by going like, and I, I don't know if I really want the, this mythos of the movie, but the fact that like, the problem is entirely located within <laughs> the wife and the mother. Yeah. And it's not like, again, I don't want these rules set up, but it's not like no, his agree. sperm actually has a component and her egg has a component. And those two together create this thing. It's like this guy is just so sanitized. He really like, is. Oopsie, I married a witch. Yep. The, the better <laughs> ending would not have been a zoom in on the daughter's arm. It, but on the man's arm and he's manifesting psychoplasmics because he's had trauma and obviously he's got rage. He just rage killed a woman, you know? Oh, that is so interesting that the movie is about repression and it's never (laughs) called into question or seemingly what his repression is going on and how that would manifest. And you know what the other Cronenberg fantasy (laughs) That is a better ending, by the way. I like that. Because of course she would have that. Like, it's it's a little like, oh yeah, I actually thought she maybe did already. So the daughter would have control of her psychoplasmic. Yeah, but obviously it's going on to say like, just by the nature that this is a daughter, basically she's going to go on to become a monster. Yeah, right. If she had a son, this would have never been. (laughs) Because also you can tell there's some like real life fantasy in this movie where he's, saying his in-laws love him and, and support him over their own daughter. And it kind of has yes. that sort of like, see, you're crazy because even your parents love me. Yep. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And then the teacher, uh, yeah, just be like, do you want to come over and have a date after dinner? Just yeah. this like And babysit my children? Yeah. I mean, I actually was glad that she goes, your life's <laughs> yeah. complicated for yeah. me. Oh, wait till you see my little um, <laughs> stepchildren. <laughs> Those are legally his stepchildren. I guess they are, right? Because they're still married, yeah. right? Are they? They're married, right? So yeah. her progeny under their so contract. So he does bear some responsibility. <laughs> legally, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, uh, and, you know, it's, it's just when I say like um, when somebody makes something 
even very fantastically semi-biographical. Yeah, like, when yeah. I say like, I want them to be scuffed up too, it's not because I want things to be even and fair. It's just, it's more interesting in a I movie agree. when somebody, when everybody's scuffed up. Yeah. And you can tell when something is informed by an experience and when something is in a sense, propaganda. Like this is a really great movie that also happens to be propaganda, unfortunately. Well, it's funny how it paralleled with, um, there's a really great line where she says, you're born 30 seconds and you have an experience. And then within a minute, you're lying to yourself with that experience. It's like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And it, what, how it kind of runs in parallel with this I got in the last week the reason I've been on a big theater kick is I got to have the discovery of discoveries watch Angels in America man for oh, the first time the movie or the the movie yes and now I'm going and watching scenes from the play oh, that wow. were filmed on Broadway at the time and it's just like I got to experience Angels in America in the last week man oh, it's yeah. like mind blowing yeah that, how good oh I agree and now I'm going down a big rabbit hole of Tony Kushner interviews mm. who's such a sweet guy and also very not pretentious yeah. and very funny. Yeah. And he said, even though this sounds pretentious, he was like, oh, I think when an artist or a writer makes something, what you're really trying to do is look at the lies you tell yourself mm. and try to get at the truth of the thing, the lie you've been telling yourself. And I was like, that's pretty good. And so what's funny about it, when the brood said, you start telling yourself a lie 30 seconds in, I was like, oh, this is similar to what he's saying. But what's, I don't, the one, I love this movie. I give it a A minus. Yeah. The thing that keeps me from fully loving it is I don't think David Cronenberg no, is not looking at the his, lie he's no, telling himself. No, he's only looking, he's only thinking of his ex-wife when he's writing that, clearly. He's making I the mean, lie we're the making movie. huge assumptions. Sure. Watch, it turns out she's like a criminal and he actually is a saint. <laughs> I don't know. And apologies if she that's She strangled the case. him and he survived. Yeah, but that is nearly never the case. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you on that. I, I I'm glad you pointed it out because it does feel like he's preaching and not, not like listening. You know. Yeah. I wonder what the lie you he's telling himself in that moment, and what could be the way that he tries to reveal that he's telling himself a lie, which is like one person was entirely bad, and I was entirely yeah. good. Yeah, it seems like seems it. to be what the lie is kind of be yeah. told in this movie, but. Who knows, maybe there will be a sequel. Uh, oh my God, it, it's not too late. <laughs> I need to rewatch Angels in America because when I was in grad school, that was the big play and we all read it and did scenes from it oh. and stuff like that. God, those must have been awful. Boy, what was so? Did you get to see it? I never saw it you know, on stage, but I read it and it had to be very exciting. Was excited when that movie came out. Yeah. yeah I'd like to watch that. What again, scenes though. do you remember doing? I'm pretty sure it was the, I can't remember the character names, but who's the, the main woman character with the gay Mormon husband, right? Mm-hmm. It was that. I was like, Oh, scene. you'd be the gay Mormon yeah. husband. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Typecast again. <laughs> uh, but no, I could just, uh, that would be, uh, who's like, um, Right, and we trying had, to, Roy Cohn's trying to get him to come to Washington. Yeah, and, yeah. And we, and when I was in grad school, it was a repertory company, so there was people of all ages. Oh and, wow! And so there was like an older woman doing the uh, Ethel Rosenberg scene, and then Roy oh. Cohn stuff, and that's where I was first introduced to Roy Cohn, and I became fascinated by that like level of hypocrisy. And I've always we've talked about those documentaries yeah. before, and then just the fact that it's all linked to Trump is. 
It's crazy how that Roy really? Cohn doesn't die. He's long dead and he does not die. Man, when I, Trump would have never have died of COVID that time yeah. when he got it and stuff, but oh, I did boring. think like that would have been so Roy Cohn-esque that he so dies of the illness that he's denying poetic. is a problem. And I don't mean like good poetry. I, even I don't want anybody <laughs> to die, but the rhythmic re- yes. repetition of that poetry right. and the irony of it, it yeah. would be incredible. Incredible you, meaning... Uh, yeah, just you know uh, what I mean. Yeah, hard to be credible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I gotta tell you the truth. It's time for another Oliver Peed. Me too. I got another Oliver Peed flute going as well. Okay, we'll be right back. With and rest. With took a little bit longer than a, just a pee break just to talk movies yeah chat chat and film yeah oh i'm just remembering because we were talking about you went to see empire strikes back yes and uh i my sister had this friend when we were little who is just like a surrogate older sister to me named uh-huh. Jean, and she's lovely and she came in from georgia and her nieces were playing in a softball game so we went to see her and she told me the story about myself that I didn't even know that we went to see Empire Strikes Back together. And when Han Solo got frozen in carbonite, I cried and cried all the way home inconsolably. And that my dad was like, hey, it's, just a, it's just a movie. It's okay. And that we had to stop and get candy because I was crying the oh whole time. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that is so cute. I mean, when I was watching it on the big screen there... um. I thought to myself, there were kids who saw this in the theater when it first came out, and how did they did they quite know what was happening to him? So that's funny that you now I got my answer. You were like you you didn't hear Lando say he's still alive. Well, what's crazy is that, especially it's crazy because what I do and don't remember because I have no recollection of that. But what I do have a recollection of is going to the J.C. Penney cafeteria with my mom and getting Empire Strikes Back trading cards before the movie came out and seeing a picture of Han Solo frozen in carbonite. And so I, I knew oh. something happened to him and there was no such thing as spoilers back then. And like all the action figures were out. So I'm like, oh, they're in the snow and what's this and that. And Do you think if you were... um going to see this doctor in the brood, the thing you would have repressed, he would have found out as like you being so upset that Han Solo was frozen in carbonite. Yeah. And I would have manifested little Ugnots to go attack people. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Those Ugnots, they love to throw around C-3PO's head, don't they? I know. Is it like, it makes me think that's some kind of sport for them. Yeah. That's their soccer. Yeah. <laughs> Those three Ugnots are uh, the victory boys. Yeah. <laughs> The three actors from Victory. <laughs> I wish. Um, that's really, uh, that's such a special story. And I wonder what candy, what candy is so good that it can make you forget about your old boy Han Solo. I know. And I wonder if we went to Farrell's, which is right next to the theater where I would have seen those. Although maybe it would have been, anyway. I won't but you mentioned uh, kids liking uh, candy. I don't think I ever told this story where... Uh, you know, around the time of Stranger Danger, my dad like had a conversation with me that he remembers still, where he was like, um, uh, "Paul, if uh, a car pulls over and asks you to get the car, well, what do you say if it's somebody you don't know?" And I was like, "No, I don't get. Would you go in?" I'm like, "No, unless you got some candy." <laughs> well, then he was like, "What if they have uh, a toy?" 
and they offered you a toy to get it. And I went, no. And then he's like, candy. And I said, no. And then he said, what about Reese's Pieces? And I went, well. <laughs> <laughs> like, I thought the point of this was like, hold out negotiation it style for, until you get what you want. Oh, God, I love that. And it, I love that in the minute it becomes specific, you crumble, too. Where you're just like, I can handle the concept of a toy or just some some candy. But Reese's Pieces? A TIE fighter? Okay. Right, right, right. If yeah. that person just held out a box and written on it was toy, I'd be like, nope. But if they held out a TIE fighter toy, I'd be like, yes. Where are we going? Sign me up. <laughs> oh, I know your breaking point now. Everybody yeah. does. <laughs> Reese's Pieces, uh, me and E.T. Uh, uh, okay, so we talked. Um, he goes to the, the boozy mo- mother-in-law. Yeah. And then uh, she gets killed. I had, oh, right. The meat tenderizer, yes, like came back to me, like, oh, right, I remember that. And then, um, uh, I, one of the, I think, genius things of this movie is how they, and you can just tell, like, oh, this person's like a real deal filmmaker and they care. It's just like how the broodlings get revealed just a little bit incrementally yeah. each time you see them yeah. and then until the end when they're finally revealed but like I love this opening sequence you're just seeing like wrinkly hands oh god I know I don't remember that like and then I love the part where she turns and like um, the broodling is like this kind of bat that's like up in the corner <laughs> waiting for her and you just see like a glimpse of the face of that moment yeah. so it's really scary because her head's kind of blocking you it. see just enough to know it's not a a normal looking exactly child. yeah yes so you go that's not normal but I didn't get enough to know so your imagination starts filling things out and then it ends with that looking through like the um the slats of a, a oh, staircase and backing off and then leaving the bloody fingerprints yes that is an amazing shot holy moly very um a lot of that stuff was very I thought Chucky like yeah. proto Chucky yeah proto Chucky. And one thing that I like that this movie didn't do that I love child's play movies, but they do this all the goddamn time, which is just like nobody, the the kid becomes a suspect. Like it seemed like a a movie, they would see little bloody handprints on stuff and they go, oh, this little girl killed her grandma. So much so that I I was kind of like, what kind of detectives are you? Clearly it was a little kid. (laughs) Yeah, because they go, did she have a, a... jilted ex-boyfriend maybe i know or a brother that didn't like her <laughs> like <laughs> wait with who had the little bloody hands holding a meat tenderizer i guess it's yeah i guess because the candace had no blood on her i mean i would say oh these things are so outside the realm of possibility that their minds aren't just open to the idea in this world of having broodleads. But this is a world with psychoplasmic, so yeah. you can be open to some ideas. <sighs> I know. It's it's funny how that's revealed. But that scene was harrowing. and Really good. It's it's interesting. The noises are clearly ADR'd and, and sound actually sound like they are being made by a child. Yeah. It's being coached in like a studio, but it's strangely disconnected from the action, but also believable and I know what you mean sounding but yeah. not you know yeah and the score is like of its time but also it feels like throw 
Backy like Bernard Herrmann. Yeah, it really did, especially the opening titles. Yeah, and it's cranked too. The music yeah. is like loud, uh, and like uh, it does sound like it's going to sound like a slight, but it sounds like TV movie music it a did, little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a little too like soap opery f- flourishes or something. Yeah, and even the cinematography is very well lit in this movie, so it kind of felt yeah. televisual in a way. But it it wasn't bad like it was nicely shot and boy i watched it on hbo max but it's the criterion mm-hmm. version and the the like transfer and the resolution is so good yes oh boy yeah and uh yeah the sound and picture and then yeah how right the um the fact that it's so well lit means it can't hide any of the like effects and stuff so like I wonder if that's partly what makes it scary too, Mm. is like you're seeing this creature in a well-lit domestic kitchen. Yeah. It's like gremlins where it's just like those two things together are really make your mind freak. It is a toss up because they're, they got to know when to pull the camera back and cut because the masks don't really move. No. And they're, they only hold up under scrutiny for a split second. But yeah, your imagination probably is better than the, yeah. the real thing. And that's why my memory of it was a lot scarier than when mm. I see it, although it was very scary. But you're right about being this domestic household, and I couldn't help but thinking about all the wallpaper in that house, and has Leslie seen this movie? <laughs> <laughs> I know, that is a, a wallpaper and carpets and rugs. Yeah. A lot of stuff you don't see out here I know. In, in these times. I miss carpet not just rugs but wall-to-wall carpet because that was such a thing in the 70s because you're realizing like wall-to-wall carpet was a new thing back then and so it only lasted for you know 20 years before people like hey you got all these great hardwood floors under here don't you want (laughs) to see those again but when when i was working in my office i was just thinking of going wall-to-wall rust carpet yes well, when that their little medical center where they're working out of the wood paneling plus red carpet is a beautiful look. Oh, it is, and I only didn't because our cat regularly vomits everywhere in the house, <laughs> and it would have been a nightmare. Maybe that's eventually what killed the carpet industry, where <laughs> people's awareness that cats, babies, and cats. Yeah, yeah. it's not a good mix. Yeah. Um. So then, um. The dad, we see him at work. He's at a construction site. Oh, yeah. Um, I would say a, 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 a construction foreman is similar to a, a director. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then he gets called in. The cops tell, uh, they talk about the suspects. There's a child psychologist with the curly hair. And somehow, like, equal length on every part of the head. It was amazing. <laughs> It was a beautiful head of air. Yeah. Should I get a tight perm? You should. <laughs> uh, if only because then you'd see me in some funny rollers. <laughs> um, so when he leaves the station, did you notice he goes in that waiting room where his daughter's waiting? She's like yeah. catatonic and eating a chocolate bar. Yeah. He goes in and he turns off the TV. And everybody else is watching. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was like, if you'd be at a Jiffy Lube, and they're like, your car's ready, and then I went up to the waiting room, just turned on yeah. the TV, and everybody's all like, uh, we were watching Jeopardy, dude. That alone tells me there's more to this divorce than his side of the story. He's a control freak. Yeah, yeah. Also, was it, it seemed to be like, no more TV for you. Yeah. You saw your grandma get killed. 
so now you can't watch TV. Yeah, TV's too too much for you. If they're showing the brood. Dude, I feel as though that probably was like a lot of kids in the 70s experience, right? Just catatonic, like eating a chocolate bar that their parents mine. come in and are like, we're going home. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there was just nothing to occupy yourself with except TV. Well, the dad was so quick to get out of there too with the cops when they were like, he's like, can I go now? And they're like, uh, we want to ask you, well, how are you? And do you have any questions? Uh, <laughs> that right. The whole dad character needs not just a rewrite, but like a... F- Thorough feud new dimensionalizing. Yeah. And that's if I have a flaw with this movie, other than the like like metaphorical stuff of the real life things, but it is that this character it could the character could do all the same things he does in this movie, but could still have a character. It needs more of a character. Yeah, because I don't even know what his um not that I get hung up on this stuff too much, but just like, what's his arc? Like, yeah. where, where did he go from? I know the beginning to the end. It's just kind of like he just wants out of every scene as quickly as possible, <laughs> out of every house, out of every building. He's just an agoraphobic. I mean, and that's fine if that's what he is, but yeah, it really needed a, a bit more retooling. But it does make you think that. Cronenberg is so in denial of himself believing the lie that he wrote zero character for his surrogate role in this thing. Cause yeah, it's why just would like, he change? Yeah. He's right. Yeah. There's he he needs nothing more. He is crystalline and perfect. It is that harpy woman who's birthing children outside of her body. I've seen it. This is a true story. This I made a documentary. In sacks. Sacks, people. Thick. Bite through sex. Um, that when that baby comes out, mm. that effect is so good. It's really talk good. about the criterion of it all. Like yeah. just to see those because I last seen this baby on video. And me stuff. too. So um, that like amazed me, but also not to sound gross. It looked good when that jelly first kind of like came out of the sack. I was like, mm, yum, yum, yum. I don't blame her. Oh, just a little for licking pastry. Um, so after he goes to the police station, um, the father-in-law comes to town. Yeah, and then he goes to visit that guy who goes psychoplasmics. Yeah. The the scarfy neck guy. Mm-hmm. Um. What an actor that guy is, too. Just his delivery was pretty great. Yeah. I did think, like, oh, man, he's doing everything that you people hire an actor for, which is just he's, like, making choices that are just, yeah. like, making this thing come alive and be weird. And, yeah. Uh, uh, so, and he says that he's going to, he's getting revenge, basically, by doing this, that win or lose as long as he can get it in the public's mind that like plasmatics and cancer mm-hmm. go together then it'll stop them from and so that kind of seems like um i didn't write this down or think this i'm just as i'm saying it kind of seems like a person who after they get out of a cult feels like they have a, a responsibility to yeah make sure the cult can't continue anymore yeah. but in regards to what you said earlier He's not he's not entirely right. Like that doctor is trying to do medical work. So Yeah, and it's crazy that they go on to say that Ragland is a medical doctor. So he's they're kind of like he can do this. He's not technically a quack. Yeah. But 
I mean, the movie rides its line really well of Raglan getting caught up in his own work and probably being just as amazed by this stuff as anybody else. And then right. it going too far. And even he realizes it's crazy, you know? Yeah. But they never show how he's getting it out of these people other than just bringing, like taunting them <laughs> horribly. Yeah. Body double style. He's like making them act like they're children. Yeah. And uh, then, and he's acting like the parent or the scolding. Yeah. So why isn't this happening in other places around the world when people do that to each other? What is he doing differently? They don't really show you. It's just Oliver Reed's breath. <laughs> I bet it has it nothing is. to do with what he's saying uh, or what those people are feeling. It's just like his uh, gnarly breath. Genes are mutating from the alcohol level from his <laughs> breath. But it, do you think it would have helped if during this he was like that guy, Mike, was also hooked up to some kind of machine so you feel like there is some kind of like technology element Ooh, that's cool. to it or some third thing because yeah. otherwise it's hard to imagine how this is even happening unless Oliver Reed has supernatural powers. Uh, which, sure. Yeah, I yeah. believe it. <laughs> I mean. uh, then the dad goes and confronts Oliver Reed um, and... Is this when he's in his bathrobe? Or that was earlier? I think that was... No, yeah. that's the first... Yeah. Oh, the bathrobe. That bathrobe's incredible. Oh, right, when the dad goes in first talks to him and says, yeah. like, my kid's not coming back here anymore. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, that's like a um, a spa. Yeah. Like, he's in between getting a the massage and then going to the steam room. It's also kind of a... Uh, he didn't mean it this way, but a power move to let someone come in, in who's going to confront you, and you're just wearing a short-length bathrobe because i i had this experience once where when i was like 20 or 21 and i had this girlfriend but she started dating me by a relationship ending but she didn't really fully end it mm -hmm. so this gal i'll leave names out of this obviously mm -hmm. but this poor guy didn't have closure in his mind he just thought well i guess she ended it but didn't he didn't know there was another guy got it and he somehow in his gut, as you often do in those situations, he knew. And I was staying at her place and had just come out of the shower and she was gone and he came banging on the door and I was just in a towel. And I was like, cause he had been kind of like coming around and the poor guy, you oh. know, needed closure and everything. And he was a bigger guy. And I just went, okay, I'm just going to get this over with. And I opened the door and I'm in the towel and I said, please come on in. And he was he walked in the door angry and then the next thing you know, we're sitting on a futon next to each other and it, I think it was just so disarming. To wow. And he was just like, thanks for telling me. Okay. All right. Appreciate it. Bye. And it was the so out of left field thing that I didn't even plan. That's interesting. That way. Because you think the, op the, the opposite would be true. The power move or the way you're going to get status in this or win this is he comes in the door and you're wearing a military outfit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and medals. You got but medals dropping off What are you, you. going to do, fight some guy who's going to lose his towel? Yeah, it <laughs> is like a, I'm not going to hit a guy with glasses sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was a fascinating experience that wow. I didn't even realize till it was over. Gosh, so if somebody ever wants to like win in court, they should just come into the courtroom every day. Absolutely, like, that's the a lesson. Towel. And just a loincloth. And the jury's going to be like, oh, that poor guy. Oh, he just, he couldn't even wait. He couldn't have blown up that school. <laughs> <laughs> school bomber. 
<laughs> the loincloth school bomber. Have you seen this man? He's that sick of a twist. I think he would do it. Yeah. Um. Now, I did like um. So, so the the old father-in-law, he goes back to his old house and he's sitting around in his old house and he calls his soon-to-be ex son-in-law to let him know I'm in the whole house I've been drinking let's go over and kick that guy's ass it's amazing <laughs> uh father-in-law relationships are great and uh or if you're just dating somebody and you're meeting a girlfriend's yeah. dad is great I can't imagine a father-in-law or the dad of a girlfriend calling me up and be like I'm in the old house. I'm drug. Let's go kick some ass. And me not being able to go, like I can't. I would be like, okay, I know. I'm right. I'm coming right over. You got it, buddy. I mean, he did it too yeah. in this movie. Yeah. Uh, did you 100%. ever say no to a father-in-law? Not mine. No. No way. <laughs> Sweetest guy. <laughs> um, but I kind of wish he would call me up for some mission like this. I feel like it'd be a good bonding. Experience. Well, this guy gets his then, though. Did you notice that in Canada there's no police tape? They just pull out a drawer and tie a rope to keep away people away from the <laughs> And did you know that when somebody dies, they don't do a chalk outline, they do a blockhead computer like two bit rendering. This made me think were chalk lines ever a real thing or is that 100% TV? I've never seen a picture or a documentary where a chalk line was Gosh, used. You're... they probably are, but it had yeah, to come from somewhere. But it's also a little like, seems like it's probably destroying more evidence and getting things in the way, putting some chalk all yeah. around where somebody died. And it's like, I think we have a pretty good idea of where his body is. Yeah, especially the tape too. Well, the tape thing, yeah, it looked like a blocking session at a theater where they have to know. know where to put the body in the dark and it's going to be like glow tape. <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell you this story about The Shining because I just can't wait. Because oh, it's yes! Related. Okay, so I was helping develop a podcast that who knows if it will come out, but someone on there had a, a, a meeting with Jack Nicholson and he was on a plane with Jack Nicholson on a private plane. Oh, he was wow. telling the story and okay. went back to the restroom and then coming out of the restroom, Nicholson said, sit down. And he goes, you don't mind? And, and he, he's like, so you got some time with Jack Nicholson. What do you do? You ask him a question about The Shining because the person was a big fan of Kubrick and he said that when when Wendy hits Jack Nicholson and Nicholson falls down, that there was a tape line drawing on the floor for every finger and where it had to fall exactly, like he, down to the oh. finger where he had to hit and land exactly how Kubrick wanted to. Whoa! Yeah. That is an awesome tidbit. There's some more in there too, and I'll send it to you. Oh my. It was incredible. Yeah. That is wild. But like for, what you said, like blocking for a theater or a set, that's what that feels like. It was so weird to see it. Yeah, right, right, right. They'd be like, okay, and this body has to get in this position right here, and that's why we put this little block. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Because what is the movie? 
Oh, it's Mr. Mom in the in Dude, the- <laughs> I thought of Mr. Mom when I saw it. And it's such a good joke. Uh it gets I recently watched mm-hmm, National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon One. Whoa. And they use that joke in that too. A person like being like, oop, I'm not on the chalk. Right. That's not far enough out for them to not no. actually stealing it. There are a couple really funny moments of little loaded weapon. Oh, I one believe that, it. Yeah. I yeah, believe yeah, it. Yeah. But for those of you that don't know, um Mr. Mom, he's having a dream where he gets shot like in a soap opera and he falls down and there's already a tape line of a body and he falls down but he's just shy of it so he like he falls down and dies but then peeks over at it and then scooches over into it and it's very just, funny oh and that's the scene with angelian and i've been watching it's a living that sitcom with her so much lately and jillian because that actress is what's her name um jill and jillian oh that's her name you said Aunt Jillian. <laughs> I was like, yeah, who played Aunt Jillian again? Oh, Aunt Jillian? But in It's a Living, the cocktail waitress is in the Bonaventure. She's the like brassy, like sex crazed one because this is from 1980. So they're, that's her whole character. Yeah. But everything she says is like she's a 1930s gangster's mall of like, honey, I don't mind telling you this. Oh, well, does he got it all where it counts? <laughs> it is incredible. Oh my god. We have to do an episode about Mr. Mom. We, at this point, we do. And it's only fair. It's only fair to Aunt Jillian. Because <laughs> um, maybe if we do another one-off, like we do 10 for for them, one for us. That's it. Yeah. Not that these aren't for us, but yes. we get to pick a, a true cos. And we open up people's minds yeah. to Mr. Mom oh, who don't God. know the joys of it. Oh, it's such a joyful movie. Um, he gets pummeled with those big labyrinth balls. Yeah, what are those? Are just seventies uh, decor, decor, heavy murder weapons. That was the scene that um that my ex remembered was like. I remember them holding. Oh, like, so it really was the brood. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it definitely. was the brood that she watched. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then you get a real close up of the face yeah. at the end. Um, now this is when Frank comes in. And yeah, this is his complete lack of reaction. Not only is his mind not blown by like this new species he's yeah. looking at, he's just not even like startled when one sneaks up on him. He's no. just like, huh? No. Oh. Okay. He's already lost his mother-in-law. Has he seen the dead? He's seen the dead body of his father-in-law. Yep. Doesn't react. Yeah. And is this the one where you, the reveal of the kitties is like up in the corner in the ceiling? That was the one I was talking about where oh, there was okay. like a bat. Yeah. yeah. That, that is crazy. Cause so you don't, ex- you, you already know this is a childlike thing. So you, you don't expect it to be up. You think you're safe when the camera's right. heading up there. Yeah. yeah that's good. Oh. Um, then, um, they go see the detective and he has, so when the babysitter's there while he's off doing that, um, you mean the teacher the, that he had on a yes, date? Yeah. Te- babysitter slash teacher slash yeah. secretary. Yeah, slash, slash amazing haircut. Yes. Oh, I'm going to get that tonight. <laughs> uh, I She gets that threatening phone call from the mom. Yeah. And that was really scary. Yeah. And in the last year, I watched another movie where there was a threatening phone call. And I'm like, that is a dying Art, I know. But so scary in a movie. Yeah. Anytime it happens and you hear like a disembodied scary voice coming oh, through a phone. When a stranger calls, that's, we got to add yes. that to the one-offs. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one I just always knew as an urban legend. I've never seen the movie, but I just, you just know 
you know the it's basically a joke but a scary joke yeah yeah black christmas has a touch of that too Ooh. um uh the um and then after that is I love the choice because we don't have to sit through a long autopsy scene. It's like he's having like purple tinted flashbacks to the thing. Is it flashbacks? Is that what it is? He's driving in a car and he's like going like, huh. Place it. Right. He said this and that. And I like it because it's like how your memory of it would work. You just kind of remember all the um, big weird stuff you had to hear. But like. I'm going to guess it was always like that. It does feel a little bit like we shot that autopsy scene and uh, it's kind of dead on its feet. What if we just add some purple tint and we just pull the best pieces out of it and make it a flashback? I wondered because I also wondered if they were trying to hide the shitty prosthetic of the body. But then also they talk mm. about how those little things can't see color. And so I don't know if there was some connection to that. They were yeah. taking the color out of it. I I was confused by that. I mean, I that... um. Uh, the coroner, oh my the God. way he gets so much delight oh out of God. like, mm, can't you tell? It doesn't have a navel. <laughs> I, I just could not wrap my head around this. He's excited. So delighted. But it's not, it's not a type of like, can you believe what we found? It's more like, can you believe how good I, of a coroner I am that I can find <laughs> these things out? Oh, let me see. Let me ask you something. You see anything else missing there? Yeah, he's like doing this kind of like parlor game stuff of like notice anything missing. Uh, it's shot from below, and he's just got this kind of this smile the whole time. Yeah. It is baffling. It is like the character who's like in a werewolf movie who you go to, and he's like, "Oh, werewolves are this and that and that." So there are scenes that I know kind of have to exist, and yeah. so you might as well make them as weird as possible, but like the coroner who's horny for gross detail, <laughs> like when he was like, it's a yolk sack, like a camel's hump. <laughs> He's a cleft mouth, but no cleft palate, no teeth, but his gums are shaped like a beak. Why isn't there a team of academics and other, or just oh. other doctors or coroners in this hospital should be like, whole, they should be there should be 18 people in that room at least. Well, and later there's a headline that says Bizarre Second Kelly Murder. And there's a photo in it. Is it the photo of the the Broodly? Yes. Yeah. I was, so that yeah. would have become the biggest story uh, of know. the 70s. And it looked like it was in a tabloid. Yes, maybe like maybe it. that's kind of what they're trying to say. Like, oh, people are going crazy because it's still mythologized. What did the Kelly thing mean? Is that their last name? Yeah. Okay. So this town is also going like hey it's kind of weird two people a mom and a dad have both been killed yeah. and they've both been bizarre yeah this would be yeah i mean i guess it's the tough thing always when you're doing like a low budget thing that would have such global consequences you can't show like yeah in russia somebody people be like running around beep, 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 beep. <laughs> no naval creatures are afoot well this is five deaths. I wonder if this is the lowest body count of any movie. Mm. Or what's body double got? Body double is pretty low. Yeah. Because we had our hard time choosing best death or there wasn't a lot to choose from. You're right. Because there's drill kill and then the the main bad Oh, guy. and Drag Me to Hell didn't have too many. Right. Yeah. We've been which clearly bloodless, more adult. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We're getting way more mature. Um, that that autopsy scene is just worth 
if you if you're the type that listens to podcasts but don't watch the movies, you know that's fine. You might want to YouTube this autopsy scene just because it's so strange, bizarre, and it's also the the prosthetic body doesn't look good. It no, just, it looks like that Fox TV alien autopsy yeah, special. Yeah, it's just real rubbery but stiff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Also, yeah, it doesn't necessarily look like the thing that was walking around either. Like, no, I can't it put it together in my mind that that was the same. Yeah. There's this too, like, alien. Whereas yeah, it's sinewy. This and... one should be, like, gnome-ish yeah. more, or more um, dwarf. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, then uh, I love when the group of patients get on a bus that says, written on the bus, psycho plasmics oh i didn't see that <laughs> just imagine like if you were like on a family car trip <laughs> and a bus goes by on the highway that's a psychoplasmics and everybody's like yep that's of course i'm gonna put that um oh okay so now here's the preschool scene the cold slushy morning day with visible breath outside of a school mm-hmm. brought back a lot of memories yeah now um why do you, both of us, we both said the thing we most remember is the preschool scene. I, why do you think that is? Is it? It's got to be because that's just, well, A, it's supposed to be a safe place, but B, where's the worst thing a tragedy could happen is a room full of children. Yeah. And then just that it's also other children doing it. Like the children are the innocents and they're the ones killing the protector. And I, yeah. don't, I don't know. It yeah. really stays with you. Yeah. Cause yeah, I think it's also right. What you're saying sort of like, there's just no other scenes like it in movies. Yeah, like I can't kidding. remember another scene that's like it. So that's why it sticks out. And then also to the head explosion and scanners, I'm not saying it's like as equal, but like, the novel kind of gimmicky thing that I think I most remember from this movie is like, oh, the creatures look like kids and there's a part where they dress like kids to get the kid in a school and nobody noticed. That just sounds like a very just kind of high concept, like yeah. gimmicky part of the movie. So I'm also just like, in fact, I think when I told my mom, hey, I saw the brood, she's like, oh, the one where they're in the snowsuits and they go into the school <laughs> and take the cute. kid. Like everybody just remembers those creatures wearing snowsuits. They just must... I stick know. in your brain in a clear, clear way. But they also, this movie's got some really good ambiguity where you don't know, are they in snowsuits so that they can, someone's dressing them in snowsuits, probably the mother, so that they can pass as children? Or is it just because these are creatures too and they can't freeze to death? Yeah. Is it just practical? I, I don't know. Yeah, is there any sort of uh, subterfuge going on or is it just... Because <laughs> the snowsuits will get you closer before someone notices that it's a, a yeah. creature. But the the look on the teacher's face oh, when boy. they approach her and she's kind of does a... You know, it, it doesn't register at first. But then the actor, I think, is pretty good because she's kind of... I feel like she's going... Here's her thought process. Oh, some children. Oh, some children I don't know. Oh, God, those are grotesque children. Oh, I can't act like that because I don't want these children yeah. to feel bad. Oh, these children are a threat. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm going to die. I know. All That's of great. that happens in a split yeah. second. Yeah. It's really good. Like, yes, in her eyes, I remember, yeah, clocking like, oh, she's going from, this is a kid, not a kid. Oh, this is, oh, God. Yeah. yeah. I've been hit with, a, it's funny how they go for hammers wherever they are. <laughs> yeah. They're little like toy construction hammers yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> he makes the odd choice of putting drawing over her as like a death shroud. Yeah, that's right. And what it it had something weird written on it, very random. <laughs> I think did I write it down because it was um No, I didn't. Oh, what was God it? Damn it. Uh, um I forget what it he was. Puts, God, yes, it was something like I love carrots or something. Yeah, <laughs> like, it was something like that. And I <laughs> I thank God that Cronenberg's enough of a good filmmaker to have some children have really made that and it's not a production designer's version of a kid's drawing, you know. Not the uh Nightmare on Old Street yeah. four oh, uh, chalk God. drawings of uh. The, uh, the nightmare ki- house. All the other kids in the school are so good, and it worries me that they're just not acting. They're s- like Cronenberg's doing one of those things of like behind the camera going, Look at me, goddamn it, fuck you, scat. <laughs> yeah, and there's also like great, uh, like when Comet on the full house, nobody's looking at the fourth wall, but Comet, the dog, is just like looking out at the fourth <laughs> wall at the audience. <laughs> the kids are like the same. Like there's scenes yeah. in the kindergarten scene or wherever the daycare they're at where kids just eyes are so locked on the crew person <laughs> by camera. It's just like, what's that person doing? Why are they doing that? <laughs> you can tell they like cut. It's just like, there'll be a second of a kid be like, what's that? Cut. <laughs> Another kid in the background looking and be like, what's that? It'd be amazing if one of the little broodlings did that. Where they walk into frame and they're on profile shot and they're walking towards the teacher, but then they just turn to the right and like just turn and look at the camera. A oh. uh, 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 teacher's sort of... um. Uh, what am I trying to say? Having a light, not having a grip on a bunch of unruly kids who want to talk and think about the things they want to think about. It reminds me of in third grade, I remember a teacher was like, we have teeth. Now these are called canine teeth. Do you know why they're called canines? Because they kind of look like a dog's tooth, don't they? And I remember everybody's hands went up and she went... <laughs> No, I don't want to hear a story about how big your dog's teeth are. Uh, and everybody's <laughs> hands went down. <laughs> Every year. This made me want to look up. I wonder if there's any behind the scenes brood photos of, of the kid gymnasts, like with their masks up or something. Yes, having scene. a smoke break. Uh. <laughs> well, then that's when... um. The curly-haired guy... Oh, oh, there's another headline that was pretty great. Um, police seek dwarf killers. Oh, and By that, they I think they mean killers who are dwarves, not people who kill dwarves. Oh, here's a crazy picture Ooh. of a makeup, old makeup artist. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. That's good. Oh, here's one, too. What is this? Ooh, that's Village of the Dam? Oh, that's David Bowie. What the hell? Why is David Bowie? I don't know. Look at that artwork. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. That's incredible. No, thank you. That's amazing artwork. I'll have to put that. Are they saying that was an inspiration for um? It's probably someone did something after for the bird. Oh, yes. Oh, didn't you think her robe had Leia-like material? definitely. Do you think in a deleted scene in New Hope... She pulled back her white robe and had little R2-D2s growing out of her. <laughs> I was going to say little Ben Solos. Yes. Little Adam Drivers. Little Adam Drivers. Um, I don't see any other good behind the scenes. Yeah, because you want to see like the 
the guy wearing the snowsuit just with the mask off, right? Yeah. 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 Or like a little kid where they just pulled up over their forehead so you still see the mask. (laughs) Wow. Okay. When that, the curly hair bearded guy from Jason X uh, comes back into the movie. Oh, he's not from Jason X. The the guy with the throat giblets. Is. I right, you yeah. said that, um, and I misremembered like a fool. Um, I love in a movie when the big like reveal, and I wish I had examples to cite, is like um, offhandedly said. Like so, that guy goes, "Well, she's taking care of the kids." And they're like, "What?" He's like, "The deformed kids who live in the shed that she's taking oh, yeah. care of." <laughs> yes. You're like, "Oh, that's the movie!" Oh, because so many movies do this. What are other famous versions? I wish of- I was yeah. like, I, I when I saw it, I was like, "This happens all the time in movies," and I yeah. love it when it does because it means the truth was always there. They just needed somebody to go, "Oh, well, I know this." She's, but that. That out of context has to be one of the best ones ever because usually it'll be like, oh no, that guy lives in around the corner and it's yeah. the killer or something. Oh no, she takes care of the deformed kids up in the shed. You everybody, never, everybody knows. We it. told you about this. Come on, Come they're on. famous for it. You see them up in the windows. They're deformed kids that she doesn't let out. So if they get out, who knows what they do? But that's also like I just realized, like kind of a you know how Ocean's Eleven has that trickery with like you don't know where all the locations are. Yeah. The fact that she's been in that shed the whole time, but you're not, your uh, brain just yeah. goes, wood, wood, she must be in that other Yeah, that's right. area. She, I, you don't guess that she's in that wood shack. Yeah. I, I shouldn't totally exonerate Oliver Reed's character by saying, like, once he realizes what's going down, he turns good. Because he does know she's making children at this point. And the fact that he's keeping that a secret, like making children outside of her body, yeah. Like that is some pretty twisted stuff that he's just sequestered her up in an attic, obviously. Producing these like, yeah, yeah, it's like a puppy farm or something. But it is, it does make you think like, well, are they accelerated age things or are they've been doing this? They haven't been doing it for five years because. Yeah. How fast does one grow up? I know. But then they really do think like these were a bit of a surprise and Oliver Reed sent his like young underling out to. Gemco um, mm. or whoever, like pick up some, find me the biggest baby onesies you can find. <laughs> well, then it, it, it's interesting then that there's not different sizes of them running around. Yeah. Do they like in one night kind of fully grow to their size? Are they like a gerbil or I something? I know, because we'll never know because we saw that newborn come out, but it dies when she dies. Yeah. And that newborn didn't look it, particularly broodly and no. it just looked like a regular fetus a regular fetus that's born outside the body <laughs> exofetus <laughs> um wow and that uh, you know i didn't put this together until now 79 that's also alien there's all this kind of like yeah i can't understand weird birth stuff I'm trying to make sense of it in a, like a horror yeah. movie of like wait i can't make babies but she can is that a threat to me? <laughs> uh, also, the thing that I guess they kind of don't is maybe a, in there a little bit is how if what if you married a killer and like killer blood is in your kit? Like, oh yeah, that's covered in some movie. What? It feels like something we even watched where, what am I thinking of? 
Well, yeah, you, the, the parent is the trouble, but you do away with the parent, but you still have the child of that parent. And what, yeah. are, you, what are you left with? Yeah. What what is, didn't we watch something like that? Um, was it that episode of Alice? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, yeah, the climax here is really great when they're... I love... It's such a cool... So many movies do cross-cutting where like there's action going on here and action going on here. But having the two spots connected by emotion mm. is really cool. Yes, it really is. And so when she's getting upset, it's like kind of like a darker E.T. Elliot connection. Like when she's getting upset, those things are growing upset in the other room. It's just such a cool editing thing oh. to edit. And the way that she's he's placating her and he's actually giving her positive news when he first goes in and then Oliver Reed goes and grabs Candace but the the broods aren't activated by her rage but they're still awakened and they're doing this thing where they're like not rage filled they're just kind of closing in on him oh, like yeah. what do we do it's almost like they don't know what to do they don't know if it's a threat but they're still not going to let him go necessarily it's a really nice yeah. building of tension well and doesn't it seem like those things are kind of like her ears too yeah yeah so they're almost like listening to kind of oh. wait for her brain to tell them like yeah this is a threat so go after yeah. them the only thing that bothered me is when he kills her He's heard his daughter screaming the whole time and he kills her. And I know he's like been through trauma and he just killed his ex-wife, but he takes his time getting back up to his daughter. He even comes out the front door and just kind of stands there for a bit. <gasps> well, like, the fact that he's wagging his finger or, or, you know, as right he should if he thinks his daughter's getting abused by this weird medical community or whatever, you know. But then he leaves her with like a drunk mom. I know, I know. <laughs> so, but it, it feels like his, his murder of his wife is more about killing the wife than saving his dog. Yes. Which also worries me about Cronenberg's intentions. He's like, loophole. <laughs> hey, it's a win-win. They're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> and you can't prove one as long as the other one's there. And then, holy cow, I guess this would be the other thing that I would think of when I think about the brood is the sack the baby yeah. being born outside of her and her licking it. Uh, the whole sequence, the brood's just chewing on Oliver Reed and you're cutting to her biting into a sack to get it out. I can't think... I looked at the time and there was only... Because the credit and credits are so short. Yeah. There was only like 10 minutes left in the movie. So, and I was like, with the exception of a movie we might be watching soon. Uh, it's one of the remaining four. Like, I can't... It's really hard in the last 10 minutes to out crazy an already crazy movie. What do you, which movie are you talking about? The, the Brute. I know. Oh, I thought what we're about to watch. Oh, uh, Sleepaway Camp. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, but uh, the, like, it is really out there. And you only have like four minutes left of movie after you see it to really kind of like. There's not a big yeah. denouement. No, these horror movies with their abrupt endings like Terror Train. Yeah. Um, I I find them jarring. I almost expect them at this point, especially of that era. But you do need a more of a come down time, especially from something like that. So Some, you want a scene with a doctor saying like, should yeah. be okay or something. Something happened in the, yeah, mid- 90s or something where 
the denouements to movies just got like longer and longer yeah. and they you need like three more scenes after like the big climax before people just like to cool down yeah and then they almost started adding a second climax because the denouements got so yeah. long they're like oh this we need to have another peak here the um it reminded me of a um guy who wrote um little miss sunshine he gave he a talk once about um, the best ending is like Star Wars is a new hope because he timed it. He was like, you get three satisfying conclusions within 45 seconds of each other, which is like Luke shoots Darth out of, uh, yeah, he blows up the death. Luke, Han comes in to save him. Luke blows up the Death Star, blows up the Death Star, and then one other thing. It's just basically the medal ceremony. What's that? The medal ceremony. No, it's like three, maybe something that's going on on Princess Leia's end. Uh, what am I thinking? But oh, is it that the laser's about to fire? Yeah, it's it's something where it's just like three. There's three satisfying endpoints in 45 seconds, and then he points out in Return of the Jedi, it's different. Like mm. you get these kind of like, and when I watched Jedi recently, I was like, oh man, there's so much space between Ewoks winning, oh, Darth yeah. Vader dying, them having, and uh, I, I kind of prefer having just like that late 70s, just like, yeah, it's the ending. We're going to just wrap it up. Yeah. We know you know it's the ending. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if why now it's just like, People I want more something recently where story? the ending was so incredibly abrupt. Was it something we watched? Gremlins doesn't have an abrupt ending, does it? No, Terror Train did though. Yeah, it sure did. Yeah. Did what's the body double ending? Body double is the you find out he got his job back, his oh, acting yeah. job. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they've all been really spectacular endings. Drag yeah. Me to Hell is awesome too. Yeah, for sure. Um uh, <laughs> we like the death of Terror Train when he falls out of the train and yeah. just hits the yeah. And then you don't even see the ca- other characters anymore. <laughs> it just ends on that. That's the most abrupt. That's crazy. <sighs> I just I just watched something. I forget what it was. Oh well. Um, I'm actually out of notes. What's that? I'm out of notes. Do you have any? Yeah, more no. That's a um. Oh, I've I love her line delivery of the. I sicken you. Oh, she, yeah. We've glossed over the fact that she's incredible. Amazing. In Just her look alone, but, yeah. but in her delivery, that that you're right. That line, I was like, I the, I felt sympathy for her because you know, like it does feel like if you're ever going through a breakup and you say the wrong thing where you're already desperate and they're already about to leave you. And then you, you like speak your rawest emotion and you realize that's when you truly lose them. And you're just like, Oh God, you know, you're pathetic. You feel pathetic. Yeah. 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 That's good. Yeah. It's just also like kind of vanity or, um, egoless performances. Like there's just, she's so bananas in that. I know. And then like the fact that she was the one who like, was like, can I lick the baby? I'll lick the baby (laughs) like clean. is like so cool. You would, wouldn't you, you woman? (laughs) Roll. Roll, I'll be in my car. Let her just do what she'd do naturally. (laughs) I'm going to 
I don't know, help some children. I mean, I'm not going to, but I bet you that's all what you imagine. <laughs> that's what I'd do. be capable of. Yeah. When she says, I sicken you, it has both a feeling of like, I've lost you and I'm, I'm pathetic, but also like, oh, you little thing, you don't understand what I'm doing here. And it sickens you because you don't understand. Oh, it. right. You know, yeah. Like I'm mortal. creating life. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. You mere mortal. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's it. The um, uh, oh, 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 the, the brood. Do they feed off of people? Is that how they're, or do the people have to go into that wood shack with like a big cat food bag, like just pour it out, and then the brood comes up and eats it? I think they're seriously subsiding on her emotions. I don't, I get the feeling they're not right because they die after they've burnt out on the. Emotions. I think so. I don't think we could ever fully know. Also, if they don't have teeth, that tells you something, I, <laughs> I guess. But yeah, the one that dies after it's completed its task, basically, and they die when she dies. It's it's hard to know. Yeah, yeah. It's psychoplastics, man. You gotta. It's not simple. You gotta really read up. <laughs> Get on your it. mind around it. Yeah. Um, really scary moment when her face is down. And he's trying to get her face to come up, and I was going back and forth. I was like, "This could be a broodling." Wait, what? Oh, when, uh, her head after oh, yeah. he saves her. Yes, uh, that's just cool because it kind of fulfills yeah. the whole movie. You're like, "Oh, they look similar," and now having yeah. that endpoint is pretty cool. I never think about the fact that they look similar because they're half siblings, basically. Yeah, I guess the idea is that they look similar because it's coming from the same genetic code, right? It is interesting because it is kind of a in its own way, a virgin birth, but it's more right. like Oliver Reed's kind of the, if there is a paternal element to it, it's his He's the God. coaching. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah. And then the, that last shot of the Cheerio on her arm, right? <laughs> Those two Cheerios. <laughs> That's scary. Yeah. It's a good ending. It really is. Yeah. It's, it's a good movie. Yeah. And the ending a shot, a movie that's really kind of about divorce and its effect on a, a kid. That last shot was really moving to oh, me. Like yeah. just a, a kid with tears coming down her face. I was like, guess that's what it comes down to. Yeah. This is another movie that fell right as my parents were getting divorced. Now to their credit, they were very amicable about it and put us first. They never fought, never did any of this stuff, <laughs> spoke highly of each other, but you still, as a kid, I was responding to the fear of the of the obvious in this movie, but I think there had to have been some understanding of the trauma of divorce, and this is just it. Yeah, for me, kind of I you know my parents um, didn't divorce, um, but like when I and I'm not even necessarily talking biographically here, but there was like when the parents were when they were cross-cutting between the parents arguing and then far away the kids are like the brood was like getting rattled the more the parents were like arguing i was just like that is like a really mm -hmm. potent i know what this is like parents arguing in another room and the kids are just kind of like unconsciously like absorbing it i was like oh, that's a really good yeah potent metaphor here i know i'm so sort of surprised you don't hear about this movie more yeah well, I, it took me so long to find it on, I mean, now I, I guess it's on HBO Max and the Criterion channel. It's like yeah. readily accessible, but. 
I wonder if it's because it took me a while. It kind of like when you look at the cover of it, you think it's more of a a typical eighties horror mm-hmm. movie and it's not. So it maybe got lost in the shuffle, mismarketed or something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and even within Cronenberg's own movies, yeah, you might hear somebody reference scanners. Before yeah. Or the fly. I sort of am expecting, maybe I'm wrong that with our listeners, like this will be one of the movies that the fewest of them have seen. Yeah. yeah I hope so. so. I hope or, it's a pleasant uh, yeah, experience. People got, uh, some people got the experience of seeing it for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely sucked. I watched it a lot in college because I kept wanting to go back to it because my brain couldn't like shake what I saw. So yeah. it definitely gets in there. It's different in every way. Yes. Yeah. Well, should we best kill it up? Yes. Best kill. Um, I have to just, it's not even the physical kill. It's just the whole preschool kill attack sequence. Yeah. I mean, it's just Same. hands down, maybe the most sure I've been. Same. And then, all right, let's, um, let's rate this baby out of 13. We're going to say, let's see where we're at with these here. Just to recap, drag me to hell. I gave it an 8.5. You gave it a nine. People Under the Stairs, I gave a 5.5. You gave it a 7.5. Terror Train, we're both 10s. Body Double, I'm a 7. Hey, we're both 10s always. Always, man. I'm a 7 on Body Double. You're an 11. Gremlins, I'm an 11.5 and you're 13. I haven't even thought about a rating for this. Okay, I got it. Okay. I got mine. I'm going 11. Gonna go ten and a half. Nice, nice. That's a pretty high score. I think yeah. it's under Gremlins, <laughs> and that's where I'd put it too. Anyway, for me, probably. But I think it beats everything except for Gremlins. I saw some street name around here that was like Granella or something. Gr- Granada. But when I saw it, I was like Gremlins. <laughs> Garvanza. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gremlins Avenue, uh, any apartments available? <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's time. It Remind time. me what we got left. We've got Scanners, American Werewolf in London, Sleepaway Camp, and Motel Hell. Is That's that right? right. And three of those movies I have not seen. Okay. Really? Because I've seen, yeah, the only one I haven't seen is Motel Hell. Okay. You chose some favies of mine. Oh, good. Sleepaway Camp is just a true fave. So we'll see. We'll see what you pick now. Okay. So what are my number choices? Your numbers are six, ten, nine, and one. I'll go nine. Sleepaway Camp. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. It's been a long time coming for me. You know, Gordy, I truly fear that people are thinking we're going to be like Mark Summerzine double daring this, like cheating. It. Truly, yeah. we pulled my first five. The reason why I now am really, and then at the end of Gremlins, you were like, "Did we do? I it'd know. be cool it if we seems had the brood." Fake. It is not, but now it seems really fake because a moment ago I was like referencing, "Well, yeah. maybe we'll see in a future movie," and or, now it's next week. It seems like we truly we're not faking this. But maybe we have a psychoplasmic sort of instead of rage, it's anticipation for a movie that manifests itself through media, not our skin. <laughs> that's it no this is he's right this is 100% above board I don't know what to say it's it's just coincidences happening I really don't know do. what the math of 
first five, next five is really, I mean, that's already mind-blowing. Well, we should maybe test it next week where we specifically try to get me to choose one of the remaining three and then and that see if I can do it. That yeah. will probably undo it. <laughs> that's yeah. good. Okay. Well, oh boy. I mean, you just said that you haven't seen it. This no. is probably the one on the list that I've seen the most. Wow. Gorley, I've seen it maybe almost 30 times. Oh my God, really? Oh, so then I'm so excited. Yeah, but I'll come at this with I, I, fresh. I wish I didn't know the twist, but it's impossible not to. I mean, everybody talks about it. Yeah, it's most certainly problematic. Yeah. Just the fact that the person is the killer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So okay. Okay. sleepaway camp a week from today. Join us. We'll, we'll see you next time. We'll see you there. For more Gorley and Rust content, head over to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early, plus monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust. Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com, and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Gorley, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review with Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Candymans. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.